This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here along with Jeff and Terry as we understand the state of our union. <laughs> what did he say? It was solid? The state of the union is solid? It's is solid, but we... Which we, is a quote. If you, I saw some clips from about five or six other state of the unions from other presidents, and they all say ah, kind of the same thing. Yeah. It was interesting. They did a, and I guess they do it with every president, a bunch of different words that the president uses. United States. There's that one. (laughs) And uh, so we'll get into that today, talking about that. But uh, President Trump goes out and, uh, I mean, I guess it depends, you know, where you sit. Sort of. It it would also, it was a really interesting um, speech. I think he did a great job bringing people and, and like little human vignettes into his speech. Which was criticized, yes. Yeah, but of course it is. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, what else is new? But uh, it's too human interesty. Why? Where's well, the solid, you know, public, you know, political meat? I want that. Yeah, it just depends on what you want. This is the same complaint of everybody saying he's not nice enough. He's not human enough. Yeah. he's rude. So he tries to be human, and, and then that he won't gets work beat either. up. Yeah. You can't please everybody a hundred percent of the time. But you can bring in. The real stories of America, which I think a lot of middle Americans wonder when they're ever going to be worried about hmm. by this body of people. Some are still wondering. Yeah. And so uh, it's interesting. And boy, uh, there's so much to talk about. So we we got to – the hard thing is, is how do you – it's Donald Trump. Many hmm. thought the speech went too long. It was 90 minutes. Yeah. There were two State of the Unions longer. Both were Bill Clinton's. Yeah. Um, I heard some people talking. It was like 5,500 words or whatever, however long it was, which in comparison to Clinton, Clinton got more words out. Oh, yeah. Trump, his pacing was just, slow. It was very slow. So he took more time to yeah. you, to cover less words. But st- you know. If he spoke at his normal rate, they yeah. would have been out in 45 minutes. How many pauses were there because of applause or A people lot. standing up? Ugh. No one's broke that down yet. That is. That I've seen. That's just a lot of work. And they'll do it because, yeah. you know. It's the internet, and it's on all the all day long. So we got to fill it. And it's a really weird thing because you could tell Democrats were peeved at a lot of things he was saying. Right. So then you've got to decide. Oh, am I, so am I going to stand for the soldier who risked his life and kill? Oh yeah, I'll stand for that. <laughs> uh, even though then he'll bring up a topic about or like um, you know immigration, and mm-hmm. I'm not going to stand for part of what he's saying, but he'll give an immigration example right. where people lost their family, and uh, I better stand for that. But I'm not going to stand. It's a it's even, it's got to be really a difficult. Even decision. Speaker Paul Ryan sitting behind the president had a issue because they talked about uh, paid family and medical leave yeah more robust than what we have now and he just kind of sat there while everyone else cheered he's like oh well by the end by the end were people standing up just because it was the end and everybody else was doing it it was time to go anyway probably they i think they just wanted this thing to end Hmm. but what i was amazed at too is his discipline his ability to actually stay at that pace and not change like so he he didn't seem to come in and out of he his, read a, his normal Trump. He read the speech somebody else wrote well, is what yeah. you're saying. Well what he did, honestly, is something you don't see him do. Stand and read something, Sh- yeah. Show discipline. <laughs> oh sure. 
and the ability to actually because how many times even in other speeches does he throw something in? Oh yeah, it's a little snarkier that you can see wasn't or on script. He just cuts pieces out, yeah. and later on they go, "Well, here's the actual thing he was supposed to say, and he didn't say that." Yeah. So anyway, I'd, I mean, it was I thought it was better than I imagined. Oh well, there's a bar, and he cleared it. Yeah. Can we ask for anything more? No. Uh, so let's get to the headlines, Terry. Uh, dissect it for us. What else should we be knowing? President Trump detailed his four pillars of immigration reform on Tuesday night during a State of the Union address, claiming it was a down-the-middle compromise, one that will create safe, moderate, and lawful immigration system. So we'll see. Hmm. The pillars include offering a path to citizenship for 1.8 million undocumented young people brought to the United States as children. Now, the original DACA agreement was 800,000. Then they he then he uh, they, uh, Stephen Miller and him put out a deal last week. It was one point five million. Now it's up to one point eight million. It's almost two million. Yeah, undocumented young people. Wow, with the path to citizenship. With the path to citizenship. Building a wall along U.S. Mexico border. Hiring more border agents. Ending the visa lottery and ending chain migration, which he said protects the uh, the, the nuclear family. Which you got a little boo there. Didn't he get a boo on the? Chain well, yeah. migration comment? Yeah. So Trump said the United States has outdated, uh, has outdated immigration policies, needs more merit-based immigration with skilled people who want to work, who will contribute to our society, and who will love and respect our country. Hmm. Interesting. Which is the controversial part because then it turns into... Yeah. How, who's, what, what equates to... Merit. Merit. What are but we looking for? Interesting, too, though. He kind of called the bluff of a lot of Democrats. Like, here, there you go. Sure. Make it happen now, folks. He also wants $25 billion for that wall. Oh, sure. And that's a sticking point. So yeah, all yeah. these things are, will be negotiated well, and talked walls, about. Well, walls are expensive. I could do it for $22 billion, though. I'd do it for $20 billion. There you go. Ooh. Uh, Can you uh, beat 19. that? Uh, $17 billion. All right. You got me. So we'll get back to this in a minute. But moving on to other issues. Trump's attorney, according to CNN, they're arguing that special counsel Robert Mueller's team has not met the high threshold they believe is needed to interview a president in person, according to a source familiar with the ongoing deliberations. Despite the fact that Trump himself said he is looking forward and would love to meet with Mueller, he did say any interview would be subject to my lawyers who believe that Trump should not be required to do that. Sources said this is an ongoing negotiation and the position by the president's lawyers is not a final stance. Right. They're well, trying to figure out a way out of him talking yeah. to the But he's hey, I'm totally willing to do it. You just have to meet the standard that would say it's worth my time. Except this would be a great argument if he were the president that was in the Oval Office working all day. Right. But when you're up doing executive time, yeah. Tweeting in the morning. There's several hours. There's obvious time for your day. In other news, Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein and FBI Director Christopher Wray were among the top Justice Department officials who appealed directly to the White House, to White House Chief, Chief of Staff John Kelly Monday, advising him against approving the release of the controversial memo crafted by Representative Devin Nunez of California. The Washington Post reported the memo allegedly outlines surveillance abuses on parts of the FBI and Republicans on the House Intelligence Committee voted Monday to make it public and to keep the Democratic response to that private. Right. Uh, according to the Post, Rosenstein argued that the Justice Department was not convinced the memo accurately describes its investigative practices. Kelly reportedly told Rosenstein and Ray that Trump still wanted to release the memo, but that a White House review process would be set into motion before any official release. 
maybe typos, as we saw from yeah. the uh, the tickets for it, uh, it State happens. of the Union. It's just, you just make normal sure. business. As Trump left the chamber, TV cameras caught him telling Representative Jeff Duncan of South Carolina he's 100% favoring uh, releasing the classified Russia memo. He goes, oh, yeah, don't worry, 100%. Trump said, waving a hand when Duncan told him to release the memo. <laughs> it's on tape. They have it. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. 100%. Oh, yeah. And finally, uh, birds of a feather may flock together, as this says. The United Airlines recently shot down a traveler's request to bring her emotional support peacock on a flight departing Newark <laughs> Liberty International Airport. Yeah. Um, so the, even though the unidentified woman claimed that she had a second ticket for the bird, the airline denied her request. A spokesperson for United tells Fox News that the traveler with the peacock, they were told they were not be able to bring it on board. Apparently, the woman called ahead. And said, I have this support peacock. Can I please bring it on the airplane? And they're like, no. Mainly, they said the animal did not meet guidelines for a number of reasons, including its weight and size. And its plume. And the plume. The plume, it's like spreads out over five seats. And once that thing pops open. They say, we explained this to the customer on three separate occasions before they arrived at the airport. And they still showed up and... Made the thing about it. This comes on the heels of Delta's controversial crackdown on emotional support and service animals. Did they pull the thing off with the police? With the peacock screaming all the way down? I don't know. All the the photographs, you see them like the the normal airline waiting area, and there's this bird sitting up on like (laughs) seven chairs because the tail's hanging out. It's so hard because people need their comfort animal. But their comfort animal can't make everyone else uncomfortable. It just seems like this woman is thinking, what is the most ridiculous thing I could try to get onto this airplane? When do we get the porcupine? The support porcupine. That's going to be an ugly day. (laughs) Aren't those pretty soft when you you don't touch the pointy end? Yeah. You Mm -hmm. just have to make sure you stroke them the right direction. I (laughs) I cuddle with the quills. That's what I do. Oh, wow. Okay, Okay. back to last night. Two polls taken right after President Trump's first State of the Union address Tuesday night um, found that a majority of viewers had a positive reaction to the speech. A CBS News poll, 75% of respondents approved of Trump's speech, while 25% disapproved. A CNN poll found that 48% had a very positive impression of the speech, 22% had a somewhat positive, 29% had a negative response. As with every Mm. State of the Union address, the president's supporters watched the speech in a disproportionately high number relative to the U.S. electorate. And the CBS poll, for example, 52% of respondents were Trump supporters. Yeah. Eager to get out and support their guy. He, yeah, Whereas he if you're not a supporter, it's probably it. a greater chance maybe you don't want to jump in and be yeah. all active on polls and all that kind of stuff. So it's kind of interesting. White House aides foreshadowed a unifying speech. That was the word we heard yesterday. We're going to yeah. unify the it's country. Be a speech. Yeah, unifying Trump himself talked about this at a traditional pre-State of the Union luncheon with TV anchors. Oh, really? Where he called out NBC's Chuck Todd as a monster when he is interviewing <laughs> you. And then went after, uh, who did he go after? I forget. There was somebody else he went after calling him. E- oh, um, just forgot, the guy that does NBC Nightly News. Oh, uh, Lester Holt? Yeah. Le- remember, Lester Holt had the interview you where they asked just him, said- why did you fire James Comey? And he said, well, because of the Russia thing. You should have just oh, said yeah. Dateline. Yeah. Lester Holt. So, but but he said that, and and Trump said he he edited the video maliciously or something. Oh, yeah. And Holt's like it ran online. We ran the interview. I'm not sure why this is a concern now. And then yeah. he bragged about how much money NBC paid him for The Apprentice. 
because that's what he does in these meetings. <laughs> mm. That's kind of what they talked about. Well, that's what you got um, So NBC's Chuck Todd said he thought the theme was oversold, the unifying theme. Because I expected yeah. a lot more, actually, a lot more outreach to Democrats. Just right. More, if you're going to unify, then let's unify. Chris Wallace from Fox said something similar on Fox News. He goes, I'm surprised the way the White House sold it because we kept hearing all day it was going to be a bipartisan speech. And he didn't, Chris Wallace on Fox News didn't well, feel it was bipartisan. Well, of course it was. He he's going to he's going to fix immigration. Okay, I just they didn't they they didn't it's bipartisan hit, hit their threshold. I guess you could it's say going to reopen Guantanamo. Chris Matthews on MSNBC said it was so, it wasn't aimed at the Fox audience crowd at all. Not at all. There was none of that sort of. Uh, white a uh, right wing uh, theme as he usually sells, so he says it, it felt more bipartisan. Is what yeah. Chris uh, what Chris Matthews said. Nicole Wallace from MSNBC said um, that it was it was Trump trying to shore up and win back his base. So she uh, Van Jones on CNN said the speech was sweet tasting candy with poison in it. Oh wow, Van <laughs> so, Jones! But Van Jones is no fan. So, so. so it's like he's, he's like the guy. So Donald Trump's the guy in the van giving candy out that's going to poison people. Jake Tapper mm. on CNN says what we saw was Trump with one hand reaching out to his dem- to the Democrats, the other hand holding up a fist, and this almost is the conundrum of Donald Trump. See, yeah, but these people never were sh- for Trump, no. so all their comments are going to be negative. Representative uh, Luis Gutierrez of Illinois, a Democrat. I was able to come up with uh, this compliment, sort of. He says, although I disagreed with almost everything you said, for Trump, the speech was clear and well-delivered. Whoever translated it for him from Russian did a very good job. Wow. Ooh. <laughs> now, that's just uh, mean. That's just, see, this is this is why he people don't trust the press. And finally, the website PolitiFact. Yes. The, it crashed oh, it 40 did. minutes into the State of the Union. Really? Now, PolitiFact is ran by reporters from the Tampa Bay Tribune. Okay. Or the Tampa Bay Times. So they're in there doing their job. They're fact-checking the things said during the State of the Union, and the website crashed 40 minutes in. They stayed up on Twitter to keep everyone updated on you know what was going on. Yeah. And uh, after a while, the, about six minutes, it came back online. Wow. Mm. So the website crashed because people were like, ooh, we got to check that. Everybody was into it. In fact, um, what on Washington Post, they put together a list of all the words that Trump used in his State of the Union that had never been used in a State of the Union before. Whoa. They're, it's very interesting. The word amputations, right. bo- booby-trapped, Cajun, huh? Huh? crutches, hmm. legend. Isn't that weird? Legend had never been used by a president in a State of the Union. Hmm. Legendary, apparently maybe had, but not legend. Uh, motto, opioid, paramedics, revving, spine, Timeless, Tormentors, Toyota, Mazda. Can I ask a question? All his words. What does this say about us that we're compiling lists like this? It's it's actually fascinating. They have a database and people can type quickly. But what else is cool is you can go back and you can see, I think it was um, President Clinton was the first president to say HIV. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's interesting. George Bush used more words about terrorism. That then when you see President Obama come in, certain words were never used. ISIS apparently was never uh, – like was not on the list of words he would use, other words like that. So he, it was interesting. So they choose their words carefully. Now, uh, many would say Donald doesn't. On Twitter and when he's just speaking. But, but people choose his words for him carefully. You're wrong. They try. It was a very um, – I, I thought it was very – 
it was very appropriate Trump. Appropriate. He Trump. wasn't wow. too bombastic. He no. didn't. He didn't have too many backhanded compliments. I mean, or just backhanded backhands. He right. Didn't, right. I mean, I I didn't see the whole thing because I was involved in a basketball game. As was I. Um, Wait, what? Till it got out of hand. And oh, like, hey, there's a really. I thought you were both playing a basketball game. I kind of was. But the Utah Jazz, not, not to brag, but they beat the Warriors last they, night. They have these new jerseys. They look ridiculous. No, I don't look, like them. Don't. I they wanted to see like, how they looked on TV. It has a new. They have a new basketball floor that goes with the jerseys. I was like, this is really overdone. Yeah, it's all good. So I turned it on. I'm like, wow, they're they're leading the best team in the NBA. And then it just kind of pulled me away from the State of the Union a little bit. And then I kind of went back and forth. So. Uh, listen to this. In 2015, Obama became the first president to say the words bisexual. Lesbian, transgender. Hmm. In 2002, Bush introduced words such as bioterrorism, caves, jihad, and firefighters. Hmm. Words that had never been used by a president. Wow. Hmm. But it does show that we are really – we have too much information. Yes. Is it just trying to stretch to get anything to fill content online and – on our shows? No, I think some of it is now we have technology that we can enter everybody into yep. a database and we can now sort words. Wouldn't it be neat to know what like what were George Washington's words that he used? Well, his first speech introduced a lot of first-time words. Corn. <laughs> Corn. <laughs> you know, and this Wheat. is a, this isn't the only place we see this. We see it in sports. Oh, yeah. Yeah. oh, that's the fifth home run that he hit at, at this ballpark yeah. on a Saturday. With 40% barometric pressure. Right. <laughs> well, they know all that. And, yeah, it's it's just filling time, but, I mean, there's time to fill. Yeah, that's that's the Especially the in key. baseball. If we, yeah. <laughs> baseball's got a lot of time. Many say there's nothing but time in baseball. Yeah. Um, so that's interesting. So So that's all done. Now we get to see if anything happens. Well, uh, the other theme, I guess, from the coverage last night was how long until he tweets and then ruins any sort of good nature that came out of this. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Just blows up his whole process as he just continues with the tweets. Uh, Interesting thing. Melania, sitting in her special seats, the first lady's seats and the first lady box, whatever they call it, Mm. but had all of the other guests around her. Mm -hmm. So she got a lot of airtime. I mean, well, just standing there clapping. It helps when you wear white. Yeah, she she's yeah she did kind a wonderful of draws job. the eye in there. I yeah. wonder what she's thinking because I know that like, when my wife watches me like do a speech, it, it's actually really endearing because she still laughs at my jokes even though I've told them like <laughs> five hundred times. Do wow. you do you vary the way in which you tell sometimes, them? Sometimes, yeah, okay. But I always watch her, and when she laughs, I know that hey, that was funny. Hmm. Because why would she keep laughing after 27 years? Yeah, you'd think the humor would wear off. Like yeah. she'd see it yeah. coming and be like, Ugh. Or she's so warped. <laughs> but um, so it's got to be – I wonder what Melania thought. Wouldn't it be great if you could go interview Melania and she could be – well, you know what? He practiced for a week straight. We're so proud of him. Good job, Donnie. Isn't that, that the best gauge for how successful we are? Check, check your what are Yeah. What are our wives thinking? Yeah. Or what aren't they thinking? You know? Like – what if she had? What if she had been dozing off through the whole thing? Ooh, that would be bad. Uh, we didn't talk about it. We'll get to it. I'm sure next hour. Super blood, blue blood moon crosses the sky last night. What? Yeah, a rare super blue blood moon dazzles the sky. Blue mm. moon. Yeah, it happened last night, and apparently you can only see it in certain 
parts of the country, right? Um, I mean, in full blueness, I guess. Do you guess. have pictures of that? Yeah. But it's going to cost you. Mm. Um, can I just look it up on my computer? Yeah, you can just look okay. it up on yours. That that would be totally free. Um, anyway, so we'll get into that. So if you wondered what's going on with the moon last night, it's just no. It's blue, and that means probably the end is near. It looked full. Yeah. I didn't notice any blue tinge to it. Um, I don't know why they call it super blue blood moon, but uh, we'll explore it. Straight ahead, this is the Matt Townsend Show. Imagine the most irritating person in your workplace, okay? Why don't you like them? Do they do anything that drives you nuts? Today we're going to learn how disagreeing more at work can actually help relieve workplace tension and personal stress. Here to speak with us uh, today about the topic is Amy Gallo. She's the author of the Harvard Business Review's Guide to Dealing with Conflict. She's also a contributing editor at Harvard Business Review. And Amy, we're honored to have you. Thank you so much for your time. I'm glad to be here, Matt. Thanks for having me. So you actually are proposing that we, I guess we need to disagree a lot more at work instead of just, instead of feeling disagreement and running from it. That's exactly right. I I work with people and organizations all the time, and one of the things I've seen, particularly in in U.S. organizations these days, is that people are just terribly afraid of disagreeing. Um, I think the political climate has created a situation in which, you know, we expect people, we expect to spend time with people who see eye to eye, and I think we really just don't have the skills to productively disagree any longer. Yeah, no, I see it a lot with couples, and and it's in a way it's scary. It's even scarier maybe at at home because if if we disagree, then we must not be meant for each other, and our marriage must not be right. But we still don't have the skills, do we? That's exactly right. I mean, I think that's the problem: is people equate disagreeing with incompatibility. So, you know, to bring it back to the work context, although I certainly could talk about the marriage context. <laughs> yeah, we all could, um, yeah. Right. In the work context, um, you know, we think I, my boss doesn't disagree with me or doesn't agree with me, you know, she wants to fire me or I don't agree with the senior leaders at this organization. This probably isn't the right job for me. You know, we really catastrophize this idea of not seeing eye to eye. Now, do you think this has been – is this new to this generation, to, to, to all of us? Were we more okay with conflict back in the day, or is it something we're just having more conflict and we really don't know what to do? Well, I think I don't, you know, I haven't seen research that shows that conflict, we've gotten more conflict diverse. Yeah. I think um, one of the issues is that workplaces have gotten more diverse. There are more women in the workplace than there ever have been. Um, there are people from different backgrounds. And when you bring in people with different perspectives, you're going to have more disagreements. And I think we've become unequipped to handle those, especially um, across diversity lines. We feel especially uncomfortable disagreeing with someone who's not like us. Mm. Before we get into knowing and, and figuring out some skills from you, what what are the benefits to conflict for those that are thinking there is nothing that's good that can come from a conflict? Yeah. Well, let me make clear first that I'm not talking about unhealthy conflict. So when yeah. someone tells me my workplace is full of, of disagreement and what they mean is 
backstabbing, you know, fragile egos, threats. You know, that is not healthy conflict. But I see lots of benefits to conflict where you disagree openly, transparently, and with respect and empathy. And those benefits include, you know, first and foremost, better work outcomes. When you and your coworkers push each other to come up with better ideas, you know, you're going to, that creative friction is likely to lead to new ideas, new solutions, might even change your mind about mm-hmm. something important. Boy, what would that do if all of a sudden we not only were getting better results, it actually might decrease the tension? Right. I mean, yeah, imagine. And and that's the – I think that's the – one of the fallacies is that people think if I get along with my coworkers, we're doing good work. And that's simply not true. Certainly you don't want to disrespect your coworkers, but we're not talking about respect. We're talking about – saying that, you know, I see this a different way. I have different information. I've made different assumptions. Those are really safe ways to say, let's talk about um, what you seem to think is the right answer and what I think is the right answer and see if we can come up with something that's even better. Mm. What are some other ways uh, that it benefits us? Sure. So another one is, is the opportunity to learn and grow. So you know, as uncomfortable as it feels when someone challenges your ideas, it's an opportunity to question Am I seeing this the right way? Is there a new perspective I haven't considered? And when you listen and incorporate that feedback, you gain experience, you try new things, you especially evolve as a manager. That's so good. And um, I I assume, too, uh, if we – I always teach people that if um, a conflict is really an opportunity to strengthen a relationship, because if you can get through it, some pretty powerful things can come out of it, including making things better between you. Yeah, that's especially true. I mean, I'm sure you see that in the marriage context all the time. Anytime you can get through something really big together, you set the precedent that it's possible for us to have good fights and we can move on because you're going to have fights. You know, disagreements is a normal, healthy part of interacting with people. The key is not whether you have them or not, but it's, you know, whether you can get through them. I have friends who will brag, oh, my husband and I never fight. Mm. And I think, well, that's not a good thing. Yeah, what? what? <laughs> you know, that's not a good thing. You know, and even my 10-year-old daughter knows this, right? She, she came back from a sleepover with her best friend, Sophie, and told me that she had a great time because they fought the whole time. And I thought, well, huh? that's... No sense, yeah. <laughs> right? And I said, "What are you talking about?" And she said, "We fought about the movie. We fought about, you know, what, um, you know, what time we should go to bed, where we should sleep, which sleeping bag." And and I said, "Well, what happened?" She said, "Well, now we're BFFs." And so she really understood intuitively that what we're talking about that when you get through a difficult disagreement with someone, you feel more close. And it's true in the work context, too. That's interesting, because you also cite the fact that um, one of the benefits is higher job satisfaction. We feel we like our jobs more when we can handle conflict. Yeah, and research has, has shown this. There was a study of American and Chinese employees in China that showed that using certain approaches to handling conflict, ones where you're being collaborative, you're focused on how everyone can win, um, increases an employee's happiness at work. And it makes sense because if you think about it, if you feel like you can be open and honest with your coworkers as opposed to constantly trying to, you know, be careful not to disagree or hurt their feelings, if you can be open and transparent, you're going to be much happier to come to the office. And that, that leads to the last benefit, which is an inclusive work environment. So, you know, people will say diversity leads to innovation. That's one of the reasons for having an inclusive work environment. 
but it, it will not lead to innovation. People will not share new ideas if they don't feel like they can share their perspectives mm. without being um, reprimanded or without being told, you know, we don't disagree here. That's so interesting. And um, especially where we see all this talk and data about disengaged employees. I mean, you wonder how many of those people are just disengaged because, you know, they've tried to push back. They've tried to give their ideas. Nobody seems to listen. They don't know how to get their point across. So I'm going to quit yeah, trying. I hear, I hear it all the time with people I coach that they say, you know, they don't want my opinion. You know, I've been told over and over, unless you're on board with this program, I, you know, don't bother speaking up. Mm. And it's, it's incredibly demoralizing um, to be in that situation. And then they're like, yeah, but we really want your ideas. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. We have this new innovation effort. Please, you know, send us all your ideas, but not ones that aren't what we already have told you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, <laughs> we want the right ideas. Exactly. And that's, <laughs> so. you, know, you have to remember, organizations are made of people. Right. And, right? and I'm the first to admit I love when people agree with me, right? It feels so good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's nothing better than talking to an audience of people <laughs> when they're nodding their heads, right? right? Or, and someone says, oh, my God, I see it the exact same exactly. way. Exactly. Right? So, you know, we have to remember this is all about ego, and leaders especially have to find ways to encourage people to disagree, even if it feels uncomfortable. So what do we do um, if if we are one of those that – Boy, the whole idea of conflict, of bringing up contention, you know, of going against the grain, if it terrifies you, what are some things we can do to be better at it? Yeah, well, first, first and foremost, I think we need to focus more on feeling and giving respect at work as opposed to being liked, right? We, we, we put a premium on likability at work. He's, he's a great guy to work with. I get along with him well. Really what we should be aiming for is respect, because when you respect someone, then you can open, openly disagree. And as a manager, it's really, I know I've felt this in the past myself, it's really um, easy to focus on, I want this person to like me. I want the people I work with to think I'm a good manager. But being a good manager isn't about being the agreeable person. It's about being someone people can respect and can trust to tell you the truth. Yeah. Wow. Um, again, just so everybody's up to speed with us, we're speaking with Amy Gallo. And Amy, is uh, she wrote a wonderful article in Harvard Business Review. She's a contributing editor there and um, also is the author of HBR's Guide to Dealing with Conflict, the how-to guidebook about handling conflict professionally and productively. Right now, she's, uh, she's uplifting us, uh, Amy, really, because I – I love because I feel like I've been telling – I've been saying a lot of what you're saying just in my work area. But um, there, there is something about – a lot of us tend to be pleasers. We want the star on our forehead. We want you know people to like us. Um, but you're saying maybe focus more on feelings and, uh, and how others feel about um, things and how you're feeling about it. But also give respect. Make sure that respect is coming out. How – how do I shift? How do I shift to caring more about if they respect my ideas and my approach rather than liking me? Yeah, I think one of the things is really rely on those emotional intelligence skills, right? So focus a lot on self-awareness and think about, you know, take your next three interactions with your team or with individual team members and ask yourself, 
what's motivating me here? What, what am I worried about? Am I worried that they're not going to like what I'm going to have to say? Or am I fo- more focused on, on respect? And if I was focused on respect, what would I say differently? Hmm. I think it's really about trying to reframe the interactions you, ha- you have with people. The other thing is, I think, emulating others. So find, re- trying to remember, I have a, a boss in my past who, to be quite honest, I did not like very much, um, but I respected him. Hmm. And that was, in, and I think about him a lot. What would he have done in this situation? Because he could have cared less whether I liked him or not. He was interested <laughs> yeah. in what was best for the organization, what was best for our team, and what was best for our client. And I respected that. Well, that's interesting. That is, uh, just being able to take that other perspective, What and also the question, what would I say if I if it was about respect, if I was just trying to show respect, I mean, I would say things that I might not normally say. Right. And you might be more honest. You might be more transparent. And this isn't about, you know, brutal honesty. This right. Is, you, you'd still need to consider people's feelings. But if it wasn't about you, what if it was really about the other person and the work and the team and the organization? What would you dif- do differently? And and. From some of my clients, when they're really stuck on being liked, I tell them, think about what if you didn't care at all? Yeah. What if you didn't care at all about whether this person liked you? What would you do differently? Mm, that's good. Great advice. Uh, what else can we do to, uh, to, to move on and, and, and handle conflict better? Well, I alluded to it just a moment ago, but one of the things is that makes us avoid conflict is a real self-centeredness thinking about the organization or the work revolving around us and our feelings when really there's all these other people and you're all there to do something good for the organization. That, that presumably is, is your um, task. So if you could focus on that big picture, what is best for the organization? What are the business needs right now? Because me you know, getting along or agreeing in this meeting is not necessarily what's best for the organization. So sometimes you really have to sort of pull up, take a helicopter view and say, what would be best for the business? And oftentimes that requires speaking up, disagreeing with others, even pushing. And sometimes that means disagreeing with someone who's more senior than you, which is really difficult to do. Um, But, you know, if it's what's best for the organization, most people will respect and honor that. Well, yeah, and especially if you're tying it to already stated objectives and the big picture, the big mission, the big purpose of the company, it seems like you'd have more leverage. Exactly. It's not and an opinion. Yeah, it's not a, it's, it's, you know, and you can, and really, you don't have to frame it as, I disagree with you, right? You can yeah. say, I have a difference of opinion, or I'm seeing it slightly different, or differently, or could we have a debate about this just to make sure this is the right path? You know, really focus on words like debate rather than disagreement or conflict. Those words can get, make people really squeamish. How about, how about you are so wrong? <laughs> Don't do that one. No, I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend that. <laughs> okay, good. I'm writing that down right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and actually that's, I mean, obviously you didn't mean that. But you did one thing, you, you positioned that as, Exactly what you're not supposed exactly. to do, not only because it's accusatory, but it starts with the word you. You. Right? All right? You should always, when you're disagreeing with someone, always focus on your opinions, your feelings. I have a disagreement. Would it be okay if I shared my viewpoint? Yeah. Um, you know, it really or, does make it, it makes it, it's just one more idea. It's just another yeah. idea. It's just my idea. Exactly. Exactly. This isn't about you and I being entrenched in our 
our positions. This is about you and I being at the same table trying to solve this together. Don't you think some people um, actually sense that if you disagree with me, you're being mean, you're being unkind? Yeah, yeah. And I talk about this comes up in in my marriage sometimes. You're being so mean. I'm like, no, I'm just not agreeing with you. (laughs) Yeah. It's different. Um, And yeah, absolutely. And I think that's partly, I mean, partly it's because of our mindset that we assume disagreement means unkindness. But it's also because... Um, you know, of the way people, people disagree. Sometimes people are so uncomfortable with disagreeing that they come out with things like, you're wrong, um, you know, or they're, you know, aggressive or accusatory. And it, it doesn't have to be that way. This is, if we had the right skills to have these conversations in a constructive way, disagreement would feel much more kind. And it can be kind. Sometimes it's it's the kind thing to do. Mm. No, I mean... And you would, I mean, you know, if if what you're doing is going to not work, you know, being different and pushing back and disagreeing is the kindest thing on earth you can do. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, if if a friend tells you, you know, I'm going to go jump off a building, right, you're not going to sit, like, you're not going to not disagree, right? There, that's right. A, right? And, yeah. and that's an extreme situation, but you... You know, think about it that way. What's at stake? And so oftentimes, it's, I know this from, from research around um, ethical decisions at work, we assume the uh, risk of acting is much greater than the risk of not acting. We put a lot more um, emphasis on what would happen if we do something. But really what ethics experts say to do is ask yourself, what are the risks, ask yourself first, what are the risks of not speaking up? Because often those are more important and greater than actually doing something. Oh, yeah. No, that's great. What are the risks of not doing it? And if if we really struggle with this, I I know one of the things in the article you point out is then find somebody that's good at it and just follow their lead. Yeah, and I, I have a I have a coworker who who told me that she actually pretends that she's an actor, um, playing the part of someone who's very comfortable with disagreement. Huh. So she is incredibly conflict averse, so she knows if I act like myself, I'm just going to project discomfort. I mean, the conversation's going to spiral out of control. So she goes in and says, "I'm an actor who is very comfortable with um, disagreement." That's great, like Perry and Mason. Yeah, she says the same thing works when she's at funerals and trying not to cry. She says she plays an actor who's very um, calm. And I I think that's a really, it's an underused technique at work for us to try on someone else's behavior. We're so focused on being ourselves and being authentic to who we are. But sometimes it's helpful, you know, what would your most calm, cool, and collected coworker do right now? Mm. Or what what would your spouse do if they were in this situation? Or what would your... 10-year-old daughter do in this situation, because sometimes the most intelligent people among us are kids who oh, have all these crazy politics. That's great. Hey, uh, Amy, as we wrap up, what would you say is the, is the one thing? If, if there's just one thing I could do today to manage the conflicts at work better and, deal, and, get, and, and engage conflict a little bit more, what would be the one thing? Well, I think one of the, the most important thing is that because of the discomfort around this topic um, or around disagreements, things often get too tense and spiral out of control. And really, if you can remain calm and, you know, sometimes mindfulness techniques come in handy or breathing, you know, if you can really focus on how do I stay calm when disagreements come up, you're going to set the tone for the rest of the team 
that this is okay and that we are going to get through it. And I think that that's incredibly helpful, especially when people start turning red in the face or their voices, you know, um, start getting louder. Anything you can do to project comfort and calm is going to be much appreciated. Mm, Great stuff. Amy Gallo, thank you so much. And uh, we appreciate your time, your effort. Again, you can find out more about Amy and her work by just going to Harvard Business Review. You can also find her uh, book, HBR's Guide to Dealing with Conflict, the how-to guidebook about uh, handling conflict professionally and productively. Great stuff, folks. Up next, we'll do a little Coach's Corner on conflict, giving you some more tools, some insights in how to, uh, to, to be able to talk together about the most difficult things in life. you boy you too stupid to do what your coach tells you because life doesn't come with a handbook you need a coach here's dr matt and his coaching corner Play ball. you know when it comes to conflict uh if you if you are one of those people that just can't stand it um get in line you're pretty normal one of the things that i see every day in my work uh in my uh, coaching practice is the fact that there, there usually is about half of the times there's some people that just are, have an aversion to the conflict. They just are running from it. They're what we call the withdrawer. And a lot of the time, the other half are what we call pursuers. And they want to engage the conflict. And usually what I find is the pursuer wants to engage it because they want progress. Right? They want to get this talk on so they can fix it and they can make everything good again. Uh, meanwhile, if, when I ask the withdrawer if they want to make progress – Guess what they say? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I want progress, too. So the one that runs from conflict also wants progress, but they actually want something else more. And what they tend to want more is peace. They want peace. And they've noticed that every time we go for progress, we don't feel peace. And so what ends up happening is pursuers push to talk for progress at the expense of the other person's peace. And the withdrawer goes for peace at the expense of the other person's progress. So there becomes this standoff, and it is the ultimate human dynamic in standoff in a conflict. One is going for peace, and one is going for progress, and both people want peace and progress. But we've put it at odds with each other. We don't seem to know how to talk to create progress in a peaceful way. So if you wanted a simplification of how to best manage conflict, find a way to make in a peaceful, safe way progress on an idea or an issue. And what you will find out is if you can do that, if you can create peace and safety while pursuing your progress You'll be able to be an incredible communicator. If, however, you dichotomize it and you tend to choose progress over peace and safety, you're going to mess things up and you're always going to have people running from you. So I just know people like, yeah, well, I'm just going to shoot straight and I'm just going to say it because it's just got to be said. Well, great. Okay, that's fine. But you're going to drive anyone away that, that, that won't feel safe because of that. So usually the best way to know how to handle conflict isn't by having your own theory that you bring in and then just implement your theory. The best way to handle conflict is to watch the people you're in conflict with and pay attention to their signs, right? Try to identify, do they tend to be 
a pursuer or a withdrawer? Do they tend to take you on and fight you, debate you, or do they tend to run and hide? Because if they tend to run and hide, then you have to change how you manage the conflict. You have to find a way to make it safe for them to stay in the conversation. Now, you know where I learned to do this? Wasn't school, and it wasn't reading books, and it wasn't a PhD. It was sitting down with couples that if they couldn't solve this problem right now in my office, they're probably going to divorce. And it creates such an incredible intensity that we've got to figure out how to do this. And that intensity um, actually sometimes makes it worse, right? Because we're also afraid that we get into fight or flight. But it also allowed us to, to actually be more aggressive. It allowed me to say things I wouldn't normally say to people. Um, I used to, when I was a, a coach or a mediator, I would sit down and I would bring them in and I'd always ask them to bring me a picture of their family. So as we were going to mediate a divorce or try to figure out how to mediate a separation or make their marriage work, I wanted to make sure we always had a picture of the family here. Because most of the time when the people were fighting over something silly, it had nothing to do with their family. It really didn't. And once they realized that and we could keep their objective, that higher purpose in place, you'd be amazed at what we're able to do. You'd be amazed at how much nicer we can be when it actually means that, you know, we may walk out of this room done. You'd be amazed at how much nicer people are or how much – uh, how much more progress we can make when we have to make the progress. So start paying attention to it. Understand that you can have your own theory, you can have your own way, but in the end, if you do not know how to create both safety, uh, peace, and productivity, progress in a conversation, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you in a lot of different ways. And, uh, and there are skills. There's tools out there. There's books. There's information. So go looking for it. If you're afraid of it, don't keep hiding. Let's start, let's start uncovering it and getting really, really effective at it. That's just my two cents worth. And, uh, you know, we're here every day to help you learn how to do that. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you uh, manage your conflict even better. Talk about good. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That was great. Yeah. Uh, we're we're going to turn it now over to Terry, um, who will enlighten us. Valentine's Day gift. With more Valentine's Day uh, insight. No, these From these, the love man himself. Absolutely. These are sold out, I believe, but they may come back in stock, oh, so good. you got to keep your eye out. Okay. SpaceX, Tulsa, Tesla, and Boring Company CEO Elon Musk is trying to get the lead in the automated electric car revolution, trying to get to Mars. He's trying to revolutionize public yeah, and mass transit with the Hyperloop. He's everywhere. Last week, he started selling a flamethrower. Okay. So that's not the gift for Valentine's Day. Oh, yeah. Look it up. Elon Musk flamethrower. It costs $500. Looks like an airsoft or Nerf rifle that's been modified to shoot flames. Yeah. Musk sold 1,000 units in the first three hours between the night of, what, January 27th and the early hours of the 28th. Uh, he reached 7,000 7, sold on the 29th. He wow. has a sales number of 20,000 for a goal. 
Uh, estimates have him making four million already off of the sales of such a, uh, a gun. Um, this is good for both men and women because you um, know the men are going to want it, and the tired, frustrated moms are going to want it too. There you go. Eh. Look at that! It's a cool gun. Gotta love that. Now but... the problem is it doesn't really throw flames, as the name would imply. It uh, it should be considered an overpriced butane torch. Yeah. Because the actual flame that comes out of it's probably only less than a foot long. So, um, I mean, it's yeah. Do you want the relationship coach in me to answer this? Because, You're just going to say no. I just well, I mean, it's not that I'm going to say no. It's just yeah. I think when you pull out a flamethrower for your yeah. wife, no, no, no. I mean, for rather... the husband, obviously, I think oh, the wife wouldn't care. But yeah. California Assemblyman Miguel Santiago of Los Angeles says he intends to introduce legislation that would prevent Musk's company from selling the flamethrower to the public, at least in California. The legality of the weapon in other, the other 49 states of the U.S. remains an open question. Yeah. Musk has confirmed on Twitter that the gun does not meet the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms and Explosives definition of, illegal, of an illegal flamethrower, which means... The model does not emit a flame longer than or uh, larger than ten feet in range. It's under the <laughs> yeah. ten foot it's mark. It's not a flame, so it's thrower. legal. It's just uh, a torch. California may have to establish specific guidelines to, for California, well, independent honey, of U.S. You said you wanted regulation. me to take care of the spider problem. I told you I'd heat it up, <laughs> and it looks awesome. <laughs> it does. It looks like a Star Wars gun. Okay, so well, there's an option. That's one thing you can get your husband's ladies, or and, not. And by the way, get some insurance while you're at it. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side, along with Jeff and Terry. The gang is here. And uh, we're celebrating the blue moon. This is usually when Jeff breaks into song. Or you. You've been breaking into song more than I have recently. Yeah. It's, yeah. I'm, you must be in love or something. It's it's almost February. Mm. The month of love. The rare super blue blood moon has been dazzling sky gazers and here to report on it and help us understand what on earth a blue moon is from a red moon, from the blood moon, from what? the moon moon, Uh-oh. from a full moon, from an eclipse. What is the big deal? Everybody is... By the way, there's pretty much a song for each and every one of those moon no, terms exactly. that you threw down. Is there a blood moon song? I'll have to look it up. No, but there is There's definitely... total eclipse of the heart. Oh, yeah. It was a big moon last night. Which is it didn't look blue or red to me though. I think the, I think the colors are not what. So from is so the it was, key, it was sad. From the sad. NASA Twitter account, the super blue blood moon. Yes, a super moon when the moon is at or near its closest point to the Earth. Blue moon is the second full moon in a month, and blood moon is the red tint Earth's shadow casts on the moon during a lunar eclipse. So you have the moon. Nearest to the closest point on Earth, so a supermoon. Okay. The second full moon in a month. So it's a supermoon, the second full moon, and an eclipse all at the same time. Wow. The trifecta. Yes. Did the Tom Selleck show try to cash in on this in some way? Blue Bloods? Yeah. No. 
Darn it. No, it's a different. But boy, because uh, when I was an we EMT. We may have had dinner and sat around the same table and talked about it, but it <laughs> we, wasn't. That's a, every when, show. When I was an yeah, EMT, no. we used to say, uh-oh, it's a full moon, which means it's going to get crazy out here. Because it seemed like on full moons, people go weird. Well, yeah. Lots of werewolves. Lots of werewolves. You sure. grow hair where there was no hair before. Absolutely. And so blue bloods would be like, uh-oh, it's a blue moon, trifecta moon, second mm-hmm. moon, blood moon. Right. I'm glad you absorbed all that. It's going to get ugly. <laughs> Lots of werewolves. <laughs> so, yeah. So there was a moon, except, uh, of course, where we live, it was a cloud cover. Yeah. So we could have probably watched it as we were commuting to, yeah. the, to work today. We had but... a partly cloudy blue moon. And it was nowhere. I walked out of my house this morning like, oh, where's the oh, – it's nowhere to be seen. It was uh, – It was. and by the way, speaking of moons, um, it was a perfect segue from President Trump's event last night as uh, he did a State of the Union. Mm. And it seemed like a lot of people would scurry out of there as if a crazy moon had been appearing and people were turning into werewolves. Did you notice people walking out in the middle of the speech? Did they? Yeah. Like Democrats? But it, they didn't make – nobody made it because it was like a long wide shot. But I don't know if they just have to get up and go to the bathroom. But, I mean – It wasn't like a protest. No. It's just one. But you'd beforehand, see – they like bored or done. Beforehand, Nancy Pelosi yeah. made a statement saying if you're going to protest – because there were probably about – there was a handful of Democrats that decided to protest, yeah. not go to and the state And many were of the wearing Union. black. She told them – if you're not going to, if you're going to protest the State of the Union, do not even enter the room. Oh wow! That's She's nice like, we do not need yeah. you to stand up and make right. some spectacle and walk out of the walk out of this. That's not what we're here for. Yeah. So if you're going to come into the room, you're here. Do not just stand up and leave. So I, th- I was, like, oh, that's interesting. And it was it was just very typical politics. But I was I was actually impressed with the president. He read from a teleprompter. By the way, much like President Obama did. And every president since the technology was created. Yeah, but remember, he used to laugh at President Obama for doing that. And now he understands that it's hard to deliver an hour and 20-minute speech without a teleprompter. Not to brag, it's just that's what I do every week. Really? An hour and 20 minutes Mm. without notes. Wow. Never the same speech twice. What? I know. How do you do it? Magic. No, I just have a lot of content. I'm and trying to help you inflate your ego. I like to listen to myself speak. So I just go – most of the people are bored and asleep that are listening. Sure. But I can do it. No teleprompter. The, I mean the audience, they're secondary. Yeah. It's, it's about you and your message. It's, yeah. Like what's, what, they didn't pay sometimes. Right. I mean, sometimes they do pay. But they didn't pay sometimes. And so it's kind of more about me. In those situations. You're helping people get more sleep. Yeah. I'm here to serve. Um, last night as well, a lot of, uh, lot of vignettes. I don't know what else to call them, but very personal stories. So he would take an issue like immigration. They're and, called human moments. Oh, oh, is that what we call those? No, there's actually a name. The first guy that was, uh, that was made one of these moments during a yeah. State of the Union, there was an airplane that crashed during the president, one of President Reagan's during his – uh, presidency. Yeah. And the, it crashed in D.C. into a oh. bridge. Oh, it was horrible. And an EMT jumped into the yeah. water to save somebody. Yeah. And that guy was the first person that was made one of these stop and point into the crowd by the, that this was, president. And by moments. the way, that plane crash was crazy. So there's kind of this 
like political they name after this guy is what they call and now what they do is they he'll talk about immigration and then he'll tell a story about parents who lost their kids to illegal uh, or gang members that were in the country illegally but he did it in a sensitive way oh it was beautiful okay well and honestly you do see the pain that the country is going through a lot of times we just hear president trump tweeting and all the democrats complaining but um what you see here or there's real pain behind every one of these issues. And the issues are much more complicated than just one family or one person or one story. But I like that part of the speech. Um, he, he's going to keep Guantanamo open. He's going to – he's got a big bill to do – redo infrastructure. Now the big question is going to be can he get everybody on board and – does this negatively impact anything for this upcoming election in November? Because this seems like he may have called out Democrats. Like, you got to get immigration worked on now. You got to get this infrastructure bill. Are you going to fight this? Are you going to fight infrastructure? Well, no, the Republicans would fight it because they don't want to spend any money. Yeah, so that's the assumption <laughs> that the Republicans can all be friends. Yeah. But yeah, so this is it's opening up a lot of questions, I think. Uh, let's get to the headlines with Terry and find out what else we should be paying attention to. In a State of the Union address, President Trump said it's time to rebuild America's crumbling infrastructure, called on Congress to produce a bill that generates at least $1.5 trillion for the new infrastructure investment we need, he said. If you watch the when he mentioned the $1.5 trillion, you see uh, Paul Ryan behind him go, whoa, hey, $1.5. You're talking about $1 trillion before. <laughs> now we're at an extra. Okay. Um, Trump said the United States will be able to build the we, – we were able to build the Empire State Building in just one year. And it's a disgrace that now takes 10 years just to get a permit approved for a simple road. The process must be streamlined down to one or two years, he said, so we can reclaim our great building heritage. He promised to build gleaming new roads. Gleaming. Gleaming. I'm not sure how that works. Bridges, Bridges, highways, railways, and waterways. And it will be done with American heart, American hands, and American grit. Your favorite word, Matt. Grit. Grit. Trump also Favorite said it's, food important. Also. it's yeah. also important to invest in workforce development and job training and to open more vocational schools. Wow. Yeah. That's, All things that everyone's like, yeah, sure. It's a big list. But then there's the actual getting it done. Ah. Uh, as you said, President Trump on Tuesday signed an executive order to keep the U.S. detention facility at Guantanamo Bay open. He reportedly signed the order before the State of the Union publicly announcing it during the address before Congress. Um... Senator or Secretary Mattis, uh, he goes, I just signed an order directing Secretary Mattis to reexamine our military detention policy and to keep open the detention facilities at Guantanamo Bay. There are still 41 detainees down there. Really? Hanging out. Club Med. Not yeah. really, but that's what they're doing. During the speech, Trump outlined the need to detain and question terrorists and unlawful enemy combatants captured overseas. The base in Cuba has been utilized as a prison since uh, 2002. Yeah, he, he made a point that this isn't just... A crime. They're not just criminals. They're terrorists. Right. They need a special place. CIA Director Mike Pompeo said Tuesday that he has very has every expectation that Russia will attempt to interfere in the upcoming U.S. midterm elections. In a BBC interview, he expressed his belief that Russia will continue to try and do that, but said that he was confident that America will be able to have a free and fair election, that we will push back in a way that is significantly robust, that the impact they have in our election won't be great. He also said that China has focused efforts to steal American information to infiltrate the U.S. with spies. They pose a threat in upcoming midterms. Oh, wow. Well, we're going to see, right? There could be a big swing 
there honestly there should be there always is a big swing to yeah. the others to, to where the other party can pick up votes that's why november is going to be a fascinating i can hardly wait no you can wait for a long time no, it's going to feel like five years yeah it'll just to drag get to out. november uh, finally, looking to start your day off with a nutritious meal, forget Cheerios, instead reach for a slice of pizza, says one dietitian. Mm, On Monday, blogger and dietitian Chelsea Amer uh, caused a stir when she told the Chicago Tribune that a greasy slice of pizza is healthier than a bowl of cereal with milk. Really? She goes, you may be surprised to find out that an average slice of pizza and a bowl of cereal with whole milk contain nearly the same amount of calories. However, pizza packs a much larger protein punch, which will keep you full and boost uh, satiety throughout the morning. Yeah. She acknowledges that pizza isn't necessarily a health food, but our healthy food, but maintains its more balanced meal than a typical bowl of sugar flakes. This is great news. I have known now, this forever. The article I was reading went on to say if you got like a bran based cereal, and maybe not whole milk, it would change the math there, and the cereal would be well, healthier than pizza. But, I mean, nobody wants a brand-based cereal. <laughs> of course not. This is kind of like that Bill Cosby routine where his kids are asking him for cake in the yeah. morning. He's like, well, Dad is it's, got, great. it's got eggs in it. It's got flour in it. Gives us it's got milk. Cake. <laughs> yeah, that, that is a great – so cake, probably good too. Uh, for sure, pizza now. It all depends. But it's, it goes to the, the guy that uh, ate a month of McDonald's to see what would happen to his diet. Yeah. And he lost weight. Oh, is he still alive? Yeah. Because he's not, – not the guy that did the movie, the, the documentary. But there's guy. been three or four people that have done it where they just eat McDonald's to a specific calorie number. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Whatever you're supposed to eat per day. And it's just amount uh, – it doesn't they, – they, they, and then they didn't drink soda when they went there. They just drink water. Really? And they were fine. Yeah. But what about soup- diet soda? Could they have diet soda? No. Okay. Because it messes with your digestion. How, how many calories is it? Is it 2,500 calories? Depends on – I mean, he did it with a doctor. Wow. He had a doctor help him and uh, monitor food. him. And it's just food. It's just not the best food. Yeah. Sure. Now, the Super Size Me guy was just plowing through the biggest amounts of food he could get from that. He was supersizing everything, getting full-blown soda. If and, they asked him, he had to say yes. Yeah. And so it ended up that his – Health deteriorated. But if you lined up every cereal that exists, what percentage of those ex- those cereals do you think would be considered good food? Five percent? Maybe. I, my, my son and I were walking down the cereal aisle, and he was pointing out all There's the ones he wants. There's a lot of cereal. Yeah. And even, only five percent. And even the healthy brands have a chocolate oh, version. Oh, yeah. Well, isn't it – somewhere, wasn't it like Honey Nut Cheerios was one of the the least – Oh, yeah. Healthy because of the, the honey and then yeah. the nut is. Yeah. But they are good. Oh, they're so good. Brought to you by Honey Nut Cheerios from General Mills. <laughs> Different story. We have the Super Bowl this weekend. Yeah. Uh, oh, is that this weekend? Yeah. There, as I was explaining during the break, there there is a lot of uh, time spent twiddling your thumbs when you're a reporter and you you have to file a story every single day. And whoever you're working for wants something unique, a different look at, a twist on this, This trying to keep people interested in going to your publication to read about the Super right, Bowl. Or right, right. It gets ridiculous after a while. But this one's kind of funny. Uh, U.S. Bank Stadium is where the game will be played in Minnesota. Okay. It's a new stadium. 
Um, it's a $1.1 billion stadium. Wow. Uh, but the, it says the uh, a bird it starts out the birds didn't have to die like this hundreds of them crashing into the reflective glass of U.S. Bank Stadium. Oh no! Oh. The debacle could have been avoided before the Super Bowl this weekend, years before construction uh, of the billion dollar stadium that opened in 2016. The decision makers were aware of the problem. And a solution. The problem, the stadium sits in a migratory bird pathway. And reflective glass that gives the stadium a spectacular look also leads to fatal collisions for birds that mistake the glass for sky. Because oh. it reflects the sky, right? Poor birds. The solution, bird-safe glass. Slightly less transparent and about a million dollars more expensive than what designers propose for the stadium. And it would vastly reduce the number of collisions. They chose to go with the non-reflective... You know the, the the cheaper glass. Yeah, and yeah. Now they're having this problem. Um, they have let's see the state of the art stadium deemed worthy to host the Super Bowl should leave the Minnesota, Minnesota feeling proud, whatever. Except for the dead white throated sparrows, the dead ruby throated hummingbirds, and Ooh. twenty other species oh. of birds that have been found dead upon impact as they hit the building. Oh. They uh, it says between August fourteenth and November seventh of twenty sixteen. Uh, some researchers led a group of a half dozen volunteers that circled the stadium each day, except for a handful of days during which the stadium was inaccessible or a group member was unavailable. It took time uh, time stamp photos of the casualties. There were 60 dead birds, 14 stunned birds, and evidence of a far bigger problem. Yeah. The uh, conservative estimate is that 360 birds would be killed by the uh, running into the stadium over a three-year period. Um I don't know. So the, the, it says uh, the study showed that the glass they they proposed to use that would help alleviate this problem reduced bird glass collision, collisions by about ninety percent. Yeah, I mean, well, you, why can't you just go put up a reflective film over the glass? Yeah, and then they'll instead they would avoid the glass because they would think they're going to fly into another bird. So what is it? Is the problem the dumb birds, or well, people trying probably. to? Cut costs on building a billion-dollar building. Well, we've got two choices. We either have to understand the need of the birds, right, and put the film up, or we have to have a bird trainer that comes in and trains birds not to fly into. Have you had a bird run into, say, like your, your yes. patio door or something? We've ha- I've had a bird fly into our house. It's so loud. And it's Thunk. what? It's intense. Yeah. A live bird. It's scary. There's there's just something very, very terrifying. You don't want to break their little wings, but you somehow have to get them out of the closet. <laughs> wow. It was it was intense. Yeah, we had a storm one day, and all of a sudden on the window, oh. all of a sudden, thunk. I'm like, what? And I went outside. It was just laying in the – I had to toss it in the garbage, I mean, yeah. but it, it died. Next. It just slammed into the but house. Have you ever walked into a glass door? Um, like, yes. Yeah. So trying to think, have I? You know yes. what it feels like. Sure. Yeah. Well – slower isn't it interesting that of all the places this isn't happening you know at the baseball stadiums because they're all open but Mm -hmm. this is the same league where they have concussions concussions (laughs) i think it's i think it's like an omen it's a sign yeah just one of the many stories coming out of the super bowl the stadium is killing birds well if That's you'd like, I would be happy to do some sort of experiment. You mentioned people that ate McDonald's every day for a month. Yeah. How about for the entire Super Bowl, I eat every snack that is popular? Okay. Yeah, do that. And then I can come back and report on do it. Do it. Do that. 
And, um, and and then I'm, what we'll do, just for fun, yeah. we'll send you down to the BYU clinic <laughs> and see how hard your arteries really are. You know, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to kill you. But Real I think quick, let's do it. Favorite Super Bowl snack? Lasagna. Hmm. That's a Super Bowl snack. It's not really a finger food. No, but my wife's listening, and she, I'm hoping she'll make lasagna. Oh, wow. okay. okay. Terry, I. It's the one time a year I eat Doritos. Ooh, nacho really? cheese. I really have no self control, so I I've limited it to one day. I lo- or cool ranch doesn't matter. Oh, I think wow. we know what your favorite Super Bowl treat will be. Nachos. <laughs> that was the long wind up to mention nachos. No, come on. I've never met somebody that is more in love with one food. It's one of the greatest things. That and rice. Have you tried lasagna? Rice? It's good. My wife has the same reaction whenever I say rice is one of my favorite foods. Really? Yeah. Love it. It's one of the greatest you things. You mean like sweet rice? Or, or rice it could pudding? Be, it could be the the widest, most you, bland rice in the world, I would still eat you, it. You put it with the chicken so the chicken doesn't seem lonely. Or you add it to the vegetables mm-hmm. just for something different. Fried wow. rice, rice pilaf, people, wild people do rice. the cauliflower rice and they claim that you can't taste it because they have other things. It's just sort of the foundation of whatever you're trying to eat. It just sort of fills out the meal. It's not the meal. It's not the part where everyone's like, did you taste that rice? The only thing that makes memorable. Rice, rice better is making it... Fried rice. Can't you can't you see his family gathering for the Super Bowl, and he's like, "Here comes the rice." <laughs> and he brings out the rice, and it's just a bowl of white rice. And you're like, "Huh?" <laughs> They're all like, Dad. "All right, we'll make it. We'll make it Mexican rice. That's more Super Bowl esque." Okay, yeah. So I'm going for lasagna. Terry's going to get some Doritos, and you're going to get a rice aroni bowl. Sounds, Sounds like a party. <laughs> Sounds like a party. Hey, uh, lots to cover today, folks. Today, we're going to be talking with Tracy Mann about what thin people don't understand about dieting. Don't just think it's about discipline. There's so much more going on. Uh, and, and, you know, we all need to better understand what people are going through. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. It's still January, which means that uh, the weight loss industry is uh, still enjoying the efforts of all of those people looking to drop a few pounds this year. But as many of us have already found out, uh, dieting is very hard. More often than not, our dieting ambitions end in failure, and we are right back where we started. Here to speak with us today about the science and myths of dieting is Tracy Mann, whose book, Secrets from the Eating Lab, The Science of Weight Loss, The Myth of Willpower, and Why You Should Never Diet Again, uh, offers some proven strategies that I think can help us. Tracy, thank you so much for being with us today. You're welcome. So this, a lot of this work comes from your work as a professor of psychology at the University of, of Minnesota. Have we got... Have we got it wrong? It seems like a lot of times the skinny people look at the heavier people and just think, you know, you just need to focus. You know, it's funny. The skinny people don't really understand what heavier people go through when they try to diet. 
Mm. Um, just to step back a moment, most people can lose weight on kind of any diet. The problem is very few people keep that weight off in the long term. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, so diets don't work in the long term. Um, and the reason they don't work is not necessarily what most people outside of them think. So I think a lot of people will say if a dieter regains weight, it's because they don't have willpower. Right. And the fact is that's not true. Dieters don't have worse willpower than everybody else. They have the exact same willpower as everybody else, which is really bad. <laughs> um, and the problem is to successfully diet, your willpower has to be practically perfect. Yeah. You think about it, because think of just all the tempting things we're surrounded by all the time. And then what people, I think, also don't realize is that to resist a tempting thing that's near you, that's not just one moment of resistance, right? That's not just, oh, no, thank you, I won't have the donut. Right. You have to keep resisting it over and over and over again for as long as it's anywhere in your vicinity. Plus, plus and, your body your body is fighting you. Like, in a subconscious yes. way, you don't even know, but it's, it wants certain things. That's absolutely true. So the other problem with dieting is that your body does not want you to lose weight. To your body, when not enough calories come in, that's a sign that you're entering some sort of a famine situation. And we've evolved over the generations to survive that sort of situation because the people whose bodies made certain changes, they went on to pass their genes down to the next people. So the kinds of things that happen when people are calorie deprived are things like changes to your levels of hormones and in particular, the hormones that help you feel full. Hmm. So once you're, once you're dieting, you actually need to eat more to feel full. You're going to feel hungry even if you eat the amount of food that used to make you feel full. Now it won't anymore. That's your body making changes to try to you know, get you to survive this famine. Which Other is... changes that happen are to metabolism, yep. which I think a lot of dieters realize. So after you've been dieting a while your body learns how to survive on fewer calories, which means that there's more calories left over that your body doesn't need that then end up getting stored away as fat, which is exactly what dieters don't want to have happen. Oh. Yeah. It's a tangled web. And then then it and is. then you go to dinner with your friend or your girlfriend or whatever, and she's this skinny little girl that's like, I am so full. And she thinks that... I think we just think that we're all the same, right? That right. I disciplined, I'm full, you should discipline, you're full, except if the hormones aren't firing that are telling me I'm full, it doesn't matter. It, it's not about necessarily my brain. That's right. Well, it's about your brain in a certain way. So another thing that dieting does to change people is it changes their attention processing and their thinking processing mm. so that they become incredibly focused on food and can't take their attention off of food once they notice food around them. They're also more likely to notice food if it's anywhere near them. And so think about trying to diet when you're sort of, you know, hyper focused, deeply, deeply, exactly hyper focused on food. That just makes dieting harder. It's just so like true. being extra hungry makes dieting oh. harder. And you so notice all, everything. You notice that, oh, they're bringing in a new tray. Oh, there's yeah. a new train, <laughs> yeah, but I'm not dieters, supposed to eat it. Yeah, dieters tell me all the time, like, 
that they you know, if there's a cookie anywhere in this room, I will see it. I will notice it. <laughs> Smell it out. And, sniff it yeah. out. And then you can't get your attention off of it. So people, so dieters become preoccupied with thoughts of food, not because they're weak, but because this is something our body does when there's not enough calories coming in to help us survive the famine it thinks we're in. So the people who survived famines were the ones who were focused on food and spent every minute looking for it and thinking about it and able to notice it when it was, you know, in the corner, not so visible. So, so let me understand this. So it sounds like, in a way, um, being uh, – uh, I don't even know how to say it without sounding weird. But being, <laughs> being skinny and fit is really abnormal, being skinny and fit? Not fit, normal? but but like, well, like, it's because we, I think we all think the standard is fit. But what our, but our brain and our body are actually working to, not fit, it's skinny. Um, but okay. our brain and our body are working to actually keep us healthy, plump, or uh, full of food. And so, yeah. um, like, my, I have a, my wife is somebody that she's fine with just her, uh, her almond milk in the morning and maybe something light, really light, some fruit. Mm-hmm. And my body's like, no, man, like we're, we could die today. You better, <laughs> you better get some food in you. So, yeah, well, I mean, exactly. You're pointing out something that I think is really important for people to realize, which is we're all different from each other genetically. And some people, just because of the luck of the genetic draw, have hormones that make you feel full if you eat one sandwich. Yeah. Whereas others of us, just because of our genetic hormone situation, which, of course, we have no control over, others of us need to eat three sandwiches to feel full. Mm. So if you happen to have the genes where you feel full with one sandwich, it's going to be really easy for you to not overeat. If you need three, you're going to be much more likely to overeat. And again, it's not about your weakness. You know, it's hard to not overeat when you're very, very hungry. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's really then about our metabolism changing. We have neurological changes where we notice yeah. food more. We have hormonal changes. And even our cognitive, our brain, how we think changes. Absolutely. And so there's really two things happening, right? It's that people differ from the get-go in all those areas you just named. And then dieting messes up all those areas you just named Mm. to make it harder to keep dieting. So it really is an unfair battle. And so what do we do if we can't diet or if we we shouldn't diet? What's the alternative? Well, I agree that we shouldn't diet. Um, And what – I mean – the first thing most people I think listening are going to say is, oh, but isn't it so unhealthy to be obese? Yeah. So just to address that quickly, um, there's really three things to realize. First of all, the relationship between obesity and poor health is not that powerful. Um, It only shows up very, very clearly for diabetes and osteoarthritis, except at the most sort of extreme levels of obesity, right? So unless you're at the very high end, of the obesity scale, so to speak, um, you probably don't need to worry too much about health. The second thing you need to realize is that obese people are much less likely to engage in physical activity than non-obese people. Hmm. And of course, exercising is linked to good health and being sedentary, of course, is linked to lots and lots of health problems. So what that means is if obese people are unhealthy, 
it could easily be because the lack of exercise as opposed to their weight. And the problem is the knee-jerk response is to blame the health problems on people's weight rather than their physical activity level. Right. And yet there's research out there that shows that when you sort of pit those against each other, what you find is that fitness matters more than your weight in terms of how healthy you are. So, for example, at any weight, people who are fit have a lower risk of dying in the next 10 years than people who are unfit. Hmm. Okay, it doesn't matter what you weigh. Yeah, and on top of that, another thing people have, uh, research has shown and people have noticed is that, um, sorry, a cat has just jumped onto me. Uh-oh, watch out. Um, oh, go away, cat. Um, what we've noticed is that when people start exercise programs, they have all kinds of health improvements way before they lose even a single pound. Huh. Yeah, and... Other research very similar shows that people who don't lose weight from exercise, they still get all the health benefits as the people who do lose weight from exercise. So it really seems misplaced to blame all these health problems on weight if these problems go away, even when people don't lose weight. Yeah. And And so what, what that really means is that everybody can make themselves healthier by engaging in exercise. Interesting. So, I mean, even if you just didn't think of it as a diet, but had moderate, just ate healthier, and more importantly, exercised regularly, you derive all the benefits of, uh, of exercise, even if you didn't lose weight, but you would also, there's a chance still that you'd, you'd lose a little weight. Yeah, you'd probably lose a little weight. Um, yeah, exactly. There's research that shows that if people do four healthy things, and I'll tell you what they are in one second, they will improve their lifespan, they'll lower their risk of dying in the next 10 years, no matter what they weigh. Hmm. So here's the four healthy habits that we should all be striving for. Um, Eating five or more servings of fruits and vegetables per day. And that's a lot. We can talk about how to do that later, but um, that's a lot, but that's what we need to strive for, five or more servings. Um, Exercise regularly, meaning three times a week. Um, Not smoking. And drinking alcohol only in moderation, which means for women, no more than one drink per day on average, and for men, no more than two drinks per day, which, by the way, is very unfair. Yeah, isn't that weird? Yeah, right. (laughs) But anyway, if you do those four things, it doesn't matter what your weight is. You've minimized your risk of death, and your risk of death for normal weight, overweight, or obese people who do those four things is exactly the same. Yeah, but you won't have a six-pack, Tracy. You need the six pack. You might need it. <laughs> Isn't that I think funny? I could be happy being I know. healthy instead of looking a certain way. So this is sort of the radical thing that that I say. It, I mean, it doesn't sound radical to me, but people are always like, "What? How That's can you say this?" Crazy. But it's true. Here's the thing: doing healthy things makes you healthier, but it doesn't necessarily make you thinner. Interesting, yeah. Yeah. Now, that's actually good news. People always are like, that's the worst news I've ever heard. No, it's really good news. It's easier to get healthy and stay healthy than it is to get thin and stay thin. And come on, nothing matters more than being healthy. Yeah. Well, and and I look at it thinking that 
um, somebody could be doing these things, the four things you're talking about, and actually doing them, but still be overweight and and mm-hmm. and be thinking I've got a diet, I've got a, because right. their standard of healthy is some you know taut teeny bopper that that right. doesn't seem they're, normal. They're using their weight as a measure of health, but weight is not a good measure of health for exactly the reasons we just said. Right. So instead of measuring your health with weight, measure your health with health. What's your blood pressure? That's so much more important than your weight. That's so true. Yeah. And and but doctors are still using BMI and yes, um, they are. even more than blood pressure. It seems like at times. It does seem that way, doesn't it? Yeah. I uh, I wish that weren't the case. It shouldn't be the case. I hope that will change. Uh, I'm doing everything I can to make that change, but. The medical community has been a bit resistant to this message. I bet. Again, we're speaking with Tracy Mann, and Tracy is a professor of psychology at the University of Minnesota. She researches self-control of health behaviors and eating regulation and is also um, the author of the book Secrets from the Eating Lab, The Science of Weight Loss, The Myth of Willpower, (laughs) and Why You Should Never Diet Again. She's also under constant attack by cats in her house. <laughs> Tracy, this is a um I guess the willpower idea if we can go back to that. Sure. There really is a judgment, a social judgment it seems like that we put on people yeah. that are overweight and we 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 almost inherently think it's just somewhere they don't have the willpower to do it. But like you're telling us there's so many other factors at play. Absolutely. And there's research that actually looks at the sort of contribution of each of these different factors to your weight. And the contribution of willpower to your weight is really tiny. Is it? Yeah, extremely tiny. It plays a very, very small role. And basically for the reasons I said before, which is even if your willpower is good, it's still not good enough because to to resist all the temptations around us, we need it to be practically perfect. So really the difference might be with some people, uh, they just don't have, I guess – the, the temptations that others have, their brain might make them feel more felt full. I mean, there's other factors going on that aren't even that people aren't even aware of. They actually may have less willpower than somebody that's overweight, but they have other factors that help. Correct. Correct. Exactly. So the problem again with dieting is it's not that dieters are worse at self control than everyone else. It's that dieting puts you into a situation in which the job of willpower gets much harder right when you need it to work much better. Huh. It's an extremely difficult situation to be in. What advice so, do you give us to, to swing that, to, okay. to move on? <coughs> sure. Um, well, first of all, if you want to be thinner, and I'm kind of arguing against even wanting that, trying yeah. not to want that, yeah. but okay, I understand that people want that, of course. Uh, if you want to be thinner... Willpower is not the right tool for you. You shouldn't be trying to use willpower to get thinner, not because you're weak, but because it's a bad tool. And it's a bad tool for the reason I just said, which is it gets harder to use right when you need it most. Mm. I mean, I spent years trying to come up with sort of an analogy, like a real-life tool that has this same feature, that it gets harder to use right when you need it most. Yeah. And I can never think of one, and then I realized, of course I can't think of one. Something that had those qualities would not even be called a tool. That's true. It gets harder to use right when you need it most. That's not a tool. Right. 
Yeah. So, well, because some, one thing I have learned about willpower is it's also a finite resource where you have more of it because it involves energy and you have more of it in the morning. And But it seems I've heard the more we're exercising our willpower and the more choices we're making a day, it starts to empty out. We run out of this willpower. So yeah, then at night when we need it, with. we're empty. Yeah, it's really true. Especially when okay. we're starving ourselves. Yeah. Right. So what should we do? Okay. So not rely on willpower, for one. Um, so what you need are strategies that don't require you to use willpower. Hmm. That's your goal if you're trying to lose some weight. Again, please don't try to lose so much weight. Um, so actually, in my book, I list 12 strategies that don't require willpower. And they generally focus on things like making sure there's not temptations around you, rearranging things in your life so that you don't encounter temptations. And then I have lots of strategies for helping people eat more vegetables. Hmm. So a moment ago, we talked about four healthy things you need to do, um, you know, to improve your lifespan that don't in, that make your weight irrelevant. And one of those was eating five or more servings of fruits or vegetables per day. So what I always tell people to do is to stop thinking about dieting, stop thinking about what you can't have, stop denying yourself certain things, and expend your energy and focus on getting yourself to eat more vegetables each day. And it's not easy to do. For most of us, vegetables are, you know, not our first choice of what we want to eat at a given moment. Um, Vegetables are really high maintenance. You know, you get them home from the store and you have to do things to them before you can eat them, and you have to do lots of things to them. At least most of us need to do lots of things to them before they're really delicious. You know, like for me, I need to roast most things, especially this time of year's vegetables. Um, So to get yourself to eat more vegetables, you want to, first of all, have them around. Um, Second of all, have them in a ready-to-eat form so that when you open the refrigerator, you don't have to, like, take out a, you know, a bunch of beets and start preparing them. <laughs> right. You want the things to be ready right away. So um, so the best thing to do, and it's hard, I know, I get it, uh, hard for me to, is to prepare your vegetables when you get them home from the store and then have them in prepared form waiting for you in the fridge. And that way you will snack on them um, when, when you want. Um, my favorite strategy, I guess, for getting people to eat vegetables is what I call veggies first. Hmm. The more get alone with a vegetable. And this is based on the idea that when foods are on our plates, they're sort of in a competition with each other. You know, if vegetables are on your plate next to your pasta, they're in a competition. Which are you going to eat? Which are you going to ignore? And in that competition, vegetables almost always lose, right? They lose to practically every other thing you might have on your plate. Yeah. So Veggies First is an effort to put vegetables in a competition that they have like a prayer of winning, and that competition is vegetable versus nothing. <laughs> that they can win. Yes, yeah. sometimes. At least sometimes yeah. they can win. So to do that, basically I recommend preparing and eating your vegetable before you prepare and eat anything else in your meal so that when you're eating that vegetable, there's not other food pulling you away from it. And instead, you're just focused on the vegetable. Um, and people notice that they'll eat more salad, for example, if they're in a restaurant that brings the salad first. Yeah, that's than true. if they're at home and the salad just on their plate with everything else. So get alone with that vegetable. You'll eat more of it. And we've done research on this, showing that people will eat more vegetables per day with this system, and they'll eat fewer calories per day, even without trying to eat fewer calories. 
and it gets and it happens and boom you got your veggies in and then you can eventually move on to the other uh, the other things. Well, Tracy, we appreciate you. This really is, I think, some amazing insight. Again, Tracy Mann is her name. You can go to her website, secretsfromtheeatinglab.com, and look up her book, Secrets from the Eating Lab. Wonderful insight about uh, what, what we need to understand when people are trying to diet. So many of us try it, and it really does uh, set you up if you're not careful to, to almost fall into this failure cycle and you don't even understand why you're failing. And it may be the very thing of dieting, the very approach of dieting that causes it. We will continue the journey straight ahead. We'll be doing some uh, funny headlines with uh, Jeff Simpson. So much ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Yes, it's time to get to the headlines, uh, the empty news headlines. This is the Matt Townsend Show, but we like to sometimes give you headlines that you didn't even know you needed to know. And the first one's a great one. I mean, they're all good ones. Yeah. But uh, we're going to play a little em- or, uh, Matt Libs. Oh, boy. All right. Okay. So we'll see if you can do this. I know it seems like I'm not being fair when I give you six or seven yeah, you different options. Yeah, make it impossible. But you've, you've kind of, your batting average is not... As good. Well, not as when of you late. give me 12 choices. Yeah. No. So I'm just going to give you one sentence of this story. I'm going to leave one key part of it out. Okay. And then you have to tell me what the true story is. Okay. Okay. So for 22 years, uh, Marcio Mazel Matolias has avoided high rents in an upscale district of Rio de Janeiro hmm. by living in a, is it A, freezer box? B, inflatable bounce house. C, sand castle. D, abandoned pet shop. E, cave. Or F, Lego mansion. Okay. It is either... It is either a bounce house or an abandoned pet shop. Which one are you going to go with? I will go with Abandoned Pet Shop. Blasted! Uh, Then I will go with the Bounce House. Hmm. (laughs) Because it wouldn't make the news to be a refrigerator box. Probably not. And it wouldn't make the news to be... What was the other one? By the way, thanks for giving me eight choices again. (laughs) It was only seven. Okay. Um, Actually, it was only six. Wow. Uh, He has been living for the past 22 years. Think about it. It's near the beach. So he's been living in a sandcastle for 22 years. Wow. So he's 44 years old. So ever since he was 22 years old, he's known affectionately uh, by the locals as the king. And he has three passions, reading, golf, and fishing. And he has to constantly water his home oh, yeah. to keep it from collapsing. So despite this, Matolius says he would not have it any other way. He said, I grew up in the Bay of Guanabara. I always lived on the beach. People pay exorbitant rents to live in front of the sea. I do not have bills. And here I have a good life. And by the way, the sandcastle is incredible. So, but you didn't tell the whole story. He's a sculptor. Okay. And 
he has built this incredible sandcastle and he has to live in it because people would tear it down. Hmm. So, yeah, you didn't tell me he was an artist. Well, I mean, I told you the, the bare essentials. Did you, do you think my version of it made it sound like he was crazy? Yeah. Oh. But I'm sorry. Not to be rude. But actually, the, the real point of that was the, the Matt Libs. Yeah, okay. I which you did not get right, by the way. No. And by the way, he's got, he's got a library in his house. It's a, it's a, it, it really is. He's done an incredible work. Do you think you could live in a sandcastle for, no. for even one year? No. Two weeks? Have you seen my sandcastles? <laughs> this guy's sandcastle is incredible. And he, he apparently has to you know, fix it up and, and then people come by and he can you know, I definitely, take them on a tour. I couldn't do it with my kids because the last time we went to the beach and I was just trying yeah. to build one of those little moats, you know, just the, the little bridge where, so the water can go in yeah. and underneath. And every time they'd get too close and the whole thing would collapse. Right. No, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. Not to blame my kids or throw them under the bus or, in this case, the sand. Yeah, throw them into a sand hole. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, Let's do this. Let's take a quick break. Come back. We'll do more um, empty news, headlines, fun stuff as we learn that, hey, you know, sometimes being human is just strange. Welcome back. Uh, back to the empty news with Jeff Simpson. What else have you got for us, Jeffrey? So a lot of people, when they know that they are not long for this world, they start thinking about what am I going to leave behind, right? Yes, Sometimes yeah. it's it's some sort of an heirloom or some really heartfelt, thought-out letter. Uh-huh. Uh, what would you leave behind? I'm going to Not to say you're going to die anytime my soon. My pillow of hair. Are you serious? No. But there is a lady that collects her hair, and she left a pillow of hair when she died. And it's also kind of a, an interesting question to ask yourself to really think about, am I focusing on the right things in life? Yeah. Right? Well, and yeah, I mean, that's what's funny is if you died, every, you're leaving everything, right? And now, yeah. And then your family are going to go rifling through your things. And yeah. they might be thinking, man, dad was a hoarder. <laughs> So this woman decided that she was going to leave behind a prank. Uh-oh, what? So she died of ovarian cancer four years ago, but uh, before she did, she gave her husband one final instruction. Water the plants. So he, this guy was intent on fulfilling his wife's uh, final <laughs> request, and he dutif- dutifully watered the plants in the home they shared in Johannesburg, South, South Africa. Wow. He did it for years. So the couple's daughter, uh, I guess, came over to, to move some things out of the house, and uh, they discovered that the plants were fake. <laughs> so she had pranked him, and this poor that guy was great. watering the plants for years. Yeah. I mean, he, he thought it was hilarious. Yeah. She thought it was hilarious. And uh, she was a little surprised that he didn't notice that the, the water wasn't absorbing or the, the plants weren't <laughs> absorbing the water because there were big puddles oh, of water underneath the plants. that's cute because the rest, of their, the rest of his life, he's just going to laugh at her. That's great. That's fantastic. I want what to a do great that. way to go. I'm going to do that. I'm going to leave a prank. I, I should clarify, the ovarian cancer is not a great well, way to go. that's not great. But going out with, with a laugh and, and keeping your, your loved ones laughing, that's, 
That's I, a positive experience. Going, you know what I'm going to have engraved on my tombstone? What's that? I saw this on someone else's. I'm going to have him. I'm going to have him engrave. I told you I was sick. <laughs> That's what I want. If only, if only my wife would have taken me to the doctor. <laughs> I told you. Oh, that's good stuff. Fun stuff. See, Jeff, lifting the world. One crazy death story at a time. This is the Matt Townsend Show, folks, helping you live longer, love stronger, and lead healthier lives. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the program. Dr. Matt here along with Jeff Simpson and Terry South. Uh, You know, if you missed any of our earlier hours, we're on three hours a day, but you're a busy person. We understand that. But go check us out and our podcast out at iTunes, at TuneIn, at Stitcher. Uh, Look us up uh, at BYURadio.org. You can find and just actually enter in any topic you want. We've done 1,400 and something shows. We've done all sorts of crazy topics, too. In in addition to the ones that have helped people be better people. Yeah. I mean, we've done things as crazy as people kissing chickens. Oh, yeah, that was huge. But there was an epidemic. People were out chicken kissing. And some thought that it was the start of the zombie apocalypse. Yeah. That's, yeah. Well, and if you're not careful, it could be. That's true. I, I mean, that it's is a, true. You got to be careful. Got to be careful. There's a lot of there's a lot of disease if you don't handle the chicken right. <laughs> Always cook the chicken. So uh, we've got a great show today. We're going to be talking with Paul Jenkins. He'll be coming in talking about the importance of sleep, the, this in, is, the impact. This of, is Dr. Paul. Dr. Paul. Yes. He's a, he's a good friend of the show, and uh, we're going to pick his brain there. Also, of course, our good brethren from BYU Sports Nation will be um, joining us at the end so we can find out what's coming up on their show. But, you know, you probably can't start today without getting into the State of the Union. Well, you could, but but you're not going to. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's it was the biggest news. It's like – That's true. You remember you were all into the, the uh, Oscar Award nominations. That's true. I was in front of my computer, was there when it happened live. So you have to – we have to mention that last night – You were? Well, live in front of my computer. That's what I mean. Yeah, he was live. He wasn't dead hmm. in front of his computer. Uh, it was. A, I think it was a. It was a. I think a good night for the president. A lot of people are questioning, but he, the thing is, half the people don't like him, and they're always going to say that. Mm-hmm. But he he delivered an hour and twenty minute message. There was a phrase he used that uh, several prominent white supremacists grab onto. They liked it. Well, but you can't. <laughs> You can't they did. look at it that way. It's just people like to see what David Duke has to say. Why? I don't know. Well, we they said, they would never there. if President Obama said the exact phrase, uh, they would never tie it to I know. It. I know. It's just like you're saying, there's always a group of people yeah. looking to find fault. And this is why the president this is why he calls out fake news. Because those people have big media news outlets and they keep talking about the weird nuances of his speech instead of instead of the general swaths of goodness. OK, so he wants them to talk about it the way he wants them to talk. about Exactly. It. OK, 
Exactly. So you know that's how it doesn't really work that way? Well, yeah. Okay. But um, one of the things that he he did a really, I think, great job about and with is um, he he tried to not just say something. He tried to illustrate it with a story. Hmm. Yeah. And then he'd tell the story and then these stories were up in the booth. By the way, Melania Trump dressed in white. Yes. Well, all the Democrats were dressed in black. Okay. It's like mm. she had showed up to the wedding of the Make a Great Make America Great wedding, mm. and everyone else was mourning. Either that, or they were playing a human chess game. Yeah, he made he made a really good point <laughs> too. By the way, of um, that it's Americans that make America great. Like, let's be clear: it's Americans, mm. it's the people that make America great. In a way, inferring none of you currently. People make America great. Or will eventually. Because he's saying, you know, the whole point is we'll make it great again. Yeah. So are they currently making it great or do we need to improve on that? It's It's... the people that will – that have made it and will make it great again. Okay. So everyone. Every human. That's what he was saying. Oh, nice. But, you know, then they boo or they do whatever and – then everyone leaves. And Who's going to boo that? Everyone watches though? CNN. Well, no Who's one actually. People, no, they have to cheer that. But yeah. then five seconds later, they don't cheer it. Then five seconds later, they cheer it. It's the aerobics of the State of it the Union. It was a very difficult thing if you are just if you're a Democrat to know when to clap because you can't even just follow Nancy Pelosi's lead because you and Nancy may not even be on the same page. Correct. Was there a lot of looking at the person next to me? Can I clap here? Is this the right moment? Yeah, a lot of false starts. I think the majority <laughs> of people know when to stand, and maybe the new people. But it was interesting. New members too. may have a question. Uh, I don't know. But there were times when um, he would say something about a military situation, and and still not everyone would stand and cheer. Hmm. You know, because people have their little pet peeve mm-hmm. projects or whatever. So, right. so anyway, again, America at work. It's so complicated. It is. Um, so, you know, we've covered it. But, again, you're not going to win. You can't win everything, honestly. And and so it's in a way it's a lot more fun if we could just talk about other things like uh, the fact that the Jazz beat the Warriors last night. In that those, was an exciting thing. And, again. In those hideous uniforms Terry not, showed me. Oh, they're not hideous. They're Terry, wonderful. Terry said that uh, people actually liked it when there was there was a national poll to see which one they liked, and that actually scored pretty well. Yeah, and especially if you've seen the Red Rocks of Southern Utah, you understand that uniform. To me personally, it looked a little bland. Right, but I mean, this is coming from the guy that will eat plain white rice. Yeah, so this is take it with from a grain guy... of salt, which I often do on my white rice. <laughs> Let's get to the headlines now uh, with Terry. Terry, what else should we be paying attention to? President Trump began his State of the Union address Tuesday, as expected, by highlighting the strength of the U.S. economy, calling attention to the newly passed tax cuts. This is our new American moment, Trump declared. There has never been a better time to start living the American dream. Really? Prior to that, Trump boasted that uh, we enacted the biggest tax cuts and reforms in American history. He also said... In our uh, drive to make Washington accountable, we have eliminated more regulations in our first year than any administration in history. Wow, that's yeah. a good point. There's some there's some words of of and they um, and they thought. yeah they've been detecting and, and doing their little checking to see if if he was telling the truth or was that an exaggeration? Right. 
Yeah. With every president. Yeah. They, they all, uh, on certain issues, they'll push the facts just a little just bit. A just to make bit. them look a little better, sure. and then they get called out for it. And then they yeah. deny it, and it's just a cycle, and then it's over by, you know, two days later. Yeah. FBI apparently aware of a second dossier that alleges President Trump was compromised by Russia. Uh-oh. The Guardian reported Tuesday that the other dossier, authored by former journalist Cody Shear, independently set out many of the same allegations made in a separate report by former British spy Christopher Steele. That's the original dossier. Right. Steele's dossier has alleged that Russia holds financial leverage over Trump and includes some salacious but unconfirmed details. Shear's document came into the FBI's possession when Steele met with the agency in October 2016 to express his concern about Trump's connections to Russia. Steele reportedly told intelligence officials that he did not know how Shear compiled his information, but he presented the memo to the FBI anyway because Shear's findings corresponded with some of his own conclusions. What do you call, what is plural dossier? Ooh, good call. I don't know. Dossier? Dossium. Could be. So there's two of these dossiers. Wow. And so, um, okay. (laughs) Most people don't even really know what was in the first dossier. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, you do because sure. you've got no other hobbies no, in your life. It's, it's my hobby. I just like, huh, what's those in that? Those that just want to get through life. But these are dossiers. This is information that maybe Russia would have used to expose and, and manipulate Mr. Trump. Right. Of course, information was corroborated by the Trump staffer who was then already turning evidence yeah. and talking to the FBI before they got the dossier. So they knew all this stuff. They said, oh, wow, now there's three people that are saying this. That's interesting. The Justice Department and the Securities and Exchange Commission are apparently opening an investigation into Apple following the company's acknowledgement in December that it slowed down older model of iPhones, Bloomberg reports. Although the probe is still in its earlier stages, the uh, enforcement may not ultimately be pursued. The agencies are reportedly exploring whether Apple violated security laws. Apple initially revealed it had issued a software update that prevented iPhones with aging lithium batteries from shutting down without warning, an update that can make apps open much slower. Apple later denied ever doing such a thing. And the company is facing at least eight lawsuits in the U.S. with customers alleging Apple defrauded customers by slowing down their phones without warning. They did it because it made the software more stable with a aging battery. Yeah. So they're trying to make it so your phone worked better, but it made it slower. Now they're offering just come on in. We will replace your battery for a certain amount of money. Right. They've lowered that price too. So, so they're the, trying to make up for it. Now they're getting sued by eight people. Now the Justice Department is looking into it, and it's a, it's a phone battery, people. Right. Let's go replace it. I don't mean to disappoint you, by the way, but the plural of dossier is just dossiers. Oh boy, it's kind of boring. That is disappointing. You want it to be something more colorful. Well, are you sure? I because I remember hearing yeah. it was dosy dos. Dosy dos. <laughs> Actually, aren't those like a little Debbie snack? Uh, Does he does, or is it a Girl Scout cookie? It's also a move. Oh, it's, a good it's, point. A, it's a square dancing move. It is. Swing your partner. Mm-hmm. Aren't you a caller? Yeah, you are a caller. Just on the weekends, <laughs> square dance. <laughs> Turn to your partner. Finally, most of the world may be experiencing unseasonably warm weather this winter, but the forecasts tell for a very different story for Pyeongchang, South Korea, where temperatures could be as low as seven degrees on the night of the 2018 Winter Olympics opening ceremony, February 9th, I believe the date is. Should the forecast hold, the uh, the Olympics would be the game's previous record 
where they would beat the game's previous record low of 11 degrees held by the Lillehammer Norway Olympics in 1994. Is that something they aspire to? No. Let's beat that record. At almost 2,500 feet above sea level, Pyeongchang is one of the coldest regions of South Korea. It's also known for particularly severe winds during the winter. The stadium that will house the opening ceremony February 9th doesn't have a roof or any central heating, Uh. which could exacerbate the problem. Six people who attended a concert in that very stadium last month reported getting hypothermia in the cold. Olympic organizers are making efforts to keep their guests comfortable. They're planning to provide heating pads and blankets to spectators, as well to sell hot food and drinks, and they're saying bundle up. So you have to pay to survive. We're going to make you pay to be warm enough to survive. Oh, did you get the survivor package? The survivor package ensures you will make it out alive. See, the nosebleed section is also the nose frozen section. Oh, it's this is the problem with they just don't always have the facilities, and so you know you hang on for dear life. Yeah, literally. Yeah, hang on to your partner to keep them alive. So it'll and awake. be cold, windy, and you'll have some hot chocolate or something. So it was when the Olympics came to Utah. That was a big deal. That night was it going to snow? We don't want it to snow on the opening. It wasn't cold though. Yeah, but. It's intense. It, there's a lot that goes into I feel bad because you almost can't win unless no. everything is perfect. Sometimes it's just going to be cold. It's just the Winter Olympics. Make some snow or not, depending on where the location is. Yeah. That's a good point. With, Rus- with Russia and Sochi, they had to make a lot of snow because it's in, actually a summer resort, not a winter right. town. So. Well, if you remember in Japan, they had to make a hill that was tall enough, big enough to actually run the downhill from. Right. They had to use scaffolding. <laughs> At the top of the hill to get it to competitive height. Hmm. That's a big deal. So they didn't have all the venues. They had to build something. Yeah. That's actually what, I guess, precipitated some of the scandal was ah. Utah had a big – they had all the – they had everything they needed, but Japan still wins, but they don't have the – They don't have a they mountain. They don't have a mountain. <laughs> they don't have a physical mountain But that's where the on. bribing came in and uh, everyone's like, ah, if you bribe them, you can win anything. And then right. everyone starts bribing and then bada boom, bada bing. Rifle here, rifle there. You're ready yeah. to go. I don't know where the rifles came no, in. No, we they did. They used rifles for bribes. Oh, did they? Well, oh, rifles. Right. Yeah, 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 like, there were like rifles. Nice there hunting were, rifles yeah. that and then were there was like engraved. college educations yeah. paid for and yeah. cars. Yeah, that's What's great. the price of your integrity, Matt? Uh, is much. it a rifle? My, my integrity is not for sale. Wow. For yeah. trade, though. Yeah, I'll trade you. So even if <laughs> Five I minutes. slid no. this case full of uh, $100 bills, no. it wouldn't do anything? Not for my integrity. Okay. I mean, I, I would take free tickets to a concert, <laughs> but I wouldn't give up my integrity. Mo- I'd give up something else. Money's traceable. Yeah. So you gotta that's do a good it. point. you got to be more smooth yeah. with the – And I would never talk about it over the radio. <laughs> Well, there's yeah. another. We have like three <sighs> recordings of this going on right now, so that would be bad too. Lots of evidence being created. And right. I believe the FBI is also uh, tapped into the show. Are they? Are they big fans? In a fans? different way. They love the show. <laughs> the FBI love the show. Hey, um, we've got so much to talk about. Uh, I know you um, always like to talk about um, football. I love football. It's sad. It's going to be a gone again. Are we still again. going to have that big game this Sunday? There is. It'll be a, a big game. Minus the birds. We talked about last hour. Birds, birds are Birds dying. are crashing into the stadium dying hmm. because of glass that they can't see through. Are you excited at all to 
watch this at yes, all? Yes, I think it'll be fantastic when the Eagles take it. When they beat them Patriots. There's a TV show that they air during this week to kind of kill time. The best Super Bowl commercials. Yes. It's half hour of watching commercials with commercial breaks for other commercials that aren't as great. Really? Yeah, that's the whole show. They put commercial breaks in the commercial? Yeah. I mean, guys, commercial? Yeah, because they're just showing commercials from years past, and then, oh, now we'll take a break. We'll be right back. And then they show you, like, three minutes of commercials. That's crazy. And then you come back and watch more commercials. Sounds... But you you won't see that <laughs> veterans commercial. Yeah. yeah. The you're, still, one... you're still on that, aren't you? Well, yeah. You I mean, can't let that go, can you? I think I think the standard goes both ways. They should yeah. be allowed to air a commercial that says stand for vet or no, is yeah. please stand. Right. I agree. They wouldn't let them do it. Like the NFL just uh, wants to get away from that entire issue and so they still want yeah, they made a decision. They don't want to bring that up again. Um so other other news, you have the uh football rights. As we have dwindling numbers of people watching these yeah, games. Yeah, 10% lower this year. The property rights to actually watch the games are still very expensive. Yeah. And it looks like uh, Thursday Night Football, which is currently split between, I think, NBC and CBS, maybe on Fox next year. Really? Executives of Fox Sports believe they're close to winning the rights to show the uh, Thursday night game for at least the next season, a deal that would illustrate the company's need for live sports at a time when viewership for professional football games is eroding. They still need that live sports as people are watching less and less TV. Yeah. The 21st Century Fox unit is bidding aggressively, and executives feel they may complete a deal with the NFL in the next few days. According to a person familiar with the matter, a spokesperson for Fox Network said so the, uh, the operating unit that includes uh, Fox Sports declined to comment. Spokespeople in the NFL didn't respond. CBS and NBC paid a total of $450 million for the one season to, to air a combined package of 10 games that will split 10 up. games 100 and how much so combined it was 450 million what it was only 10 games and each network got 5 and it was also simulcast on the NFL network so does wow. this mean that disney is also going to have their hands in super bowl at some point, everyone uh, it all rotates through. At well, some they point. always say what and they, they hey, have before. They own ABC. What are you going to do after winning the Super Bowl? I'm going to Disneyland. They always it's they're already in it. Notice there were several D's in that <laughs> Disneyland. But Fox Sports is staying with Rupert Murdoch. It's not going to Disney. Okay, yeah. So that's but he has a price too. We talked about that earlier. And and because they're because the Rupert Murdoch company is getting rid of the tv side of things but they still have a tv network they still need people to watch the sports end of things sure they still need to put on live sports are you ready for some football so yeah it's a um it's just amazing to me 450 million dollars right for thursday night football no i've i the games are bad I know. It's, they, 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 they take teams that aren't very good and put them on that night for some reason. Well, the, well, the problem is I, you probably don't know what teams are going to necessarily – and you can't always have only the good teams no. playing on Sunday, Monday, Thursday. You can. And Sunday. You certainly can. Monday. But then, and then put the rest of the games on Sunday. Well, I know, but the problem – eventually you're, only, you're going to have to have a good team play a bad team. Well, sure. And that's got to be but, played but somewhere. Even at that point, they – 
they don't even have a good team play a bad team. Like the Patriots don't end up on Thursday playing someone that's bad. Yeah. It's just it's they because, end up I know it's because every prime time it's elsewhere. These all of these bosses want their teams to play primetime. Well, the other thing is players don't like Thursday night football. It don't lessens they, yeah. re- because you play Sunday and then you yeah. have basically three days and a travel day right. to play and you haven't recovered. Let's and be real. And, and it all goes back to high school when Thursday nights were the JV games. There you go. So nobody wants to play the JV game. And then Friday night belongs to high school kids. Saturday should belong to college. college. But now it's like it – I think matter. I think that might be why the, the ratings are dropping. There's too much. Yeah. There's too much. And we we get frustrated because we can't get to our Netflix. It's supposed to be a novelty and you have time for Netflix and then it's all eroded and right. there's no time for anything. And it's not all about football. Right. I mean there's other things. It's, it's about Netflix mm. and some people like Netflix <laughs> and then there's Netflix. Have you heard about this new thing called Netflix? And then yeah. there's the time where maybe you want to talk to your family. Oh, yeah. That's for Sunday. I guess that's for Monday. Oh, because Monday night. That's for Tuesday. That's a Tuesday night thing. See? Come on. NFL, you're killing us. Hey, straight ahead, we're going to be talking with Dr. Paul Jenkins about the long-term effects of sleep deprivation. Uh, You see a lot of those effects on the Matt Townsend Show. Daily. Battling it myself. We will continue the journey. This is the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us is Dr. Paul Jenkins, who uh, is a, a good friend of the show, also uh, has his own website, drpauljenkins.com, his own podcast, Live on Purpose. Um, he's the shrink who expands your life. That's me. I like that. <laughs> and uh, today you're going to expand our life because you're going to help us understand what long-term uh, sleep deprivation, the effects of long-term sleep deprivation, it messes us up. It can. I need sleep. For sure. And I don't get it. And when I don't get it, it a lot of what I know you teach, it does. Like you it, can't uh, even think straight. Well, the most obvious stuff is short term. Yeah. So you feel drowsy or you, you feel less engaged or connected. Right. If you didn't get enough sleep last night, you're going to be feeling it today. Yeah. And then In you, a lot of ways. But then you also – you're not as responsive. You can't think clearly. Right. You can't draw on your mind the way you'd want to. You're more stupid. Exactly. <laughs> and I wouldn't put it that way, but yeah. <laughs> well – No, but you're right. You are. You, you, but you right. don't – The scientific way we say that is you have, you, you have, <laughs> you have deficits cognitive in deficits. your cognitive ability. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. You get dumber. You do. You totally and, do. And you're, you're less connected. You, you'll be more grumpy. Uh-huh. Oh, um, and you can't control your reactivity. With, yeah. So these short-term effects are really obvious. Yeah. What really gets concerning is when that's prolonged mm. or if it's a consistent pattern that you're not getting enough sleep, then yeah. it starts to ding other areas of your of your life and the systems in your body, your blood pressure, for example, yeah. uh, can be affected by sleep deprivation. And, and, and then – your relationships are affected. I mean, oh, yeah. I've seen people that you know, they're just in this really bad life cycle 
and it then they come in and they see you and they want help in their marriage and you're like mm-hmm. you're miserable you hate your job you hate your life you hate everything and yeah. you get 4 hours of sleep a night so it it's really in our best interest to take a look at our sleep yeah and see what we can do about there's a couple of areas sleep hygiene yeah and this is really basic stuff like make sure you've got a good sleep schedule and some of the research out there shows that your your wake up time is probably every bit as important as your oh, go right. to sleep time. They're finding that out with these these teens, right? The adolescents yeah. that they really shouldn't be waking up until about eight in the morning because <laughs> they need it. They need about eight hours, but they a lot of times we put our high schools going to school earlier. Yeah, and so nationwide, a lot of districts are moving the the high schools to a later schedule. Because a lot of the grade school kids, they actually can handle a, a, an earlier schedule. Yeah, sure. It's Just amazing. because of their phase of development. Yeah. And adolescents particularly, adolescents and teenagers, yeah. of all the groups we've looked at, they need more sleep That's amazing. than anybody and you, and else. And we know that because they're grumpy and hormonal. Uh-huh. And, yeah. And, and still we're trying to get them up early. I know. Adolescents typically need closer to 10 hours of sleep. Per night, and and most of the estimates I've seen say that average human beings need anywhere from six to ten hours. Yeah. What do you need? And then it's variable. Yeah, no, totally. It's variable after that. I just told you I get about six hours and I'm done. Do you get six and that's all you need? Or do you my get... eyes pop open and I'm ready to go. And your head turns up. Yeah, and on. I hate that moment when because there's sometimes I have I get up I have to get up in mm-hmm. the middle of the night or whatever. And you know, just check the doors. And, but then <laughs> that's a um, different issue, man. Yeah, it's a whole. We're worried yeah. about security. <laughs> but then, um, once my mind wakes up, it's a whole other ballgame. So yeah. if I can keep yeah, my yeah. mind calm and mm-hmm. asleep, then that's good. There's some days I'll just wake up, boink, and I have a thought. Yeah, and your and mind a speech starts working or something. On I'm it. getting ready, and now absolutely. It's, then I just know to get up. If I'm writing a book or in the middle of a project or something, yeah, it's just. You know, anytime I wake up after 4 a.m., I'm ready to oh, yeah. <laughs> to get at it. But right? I need seven hours minimum. Yeah, which is pretty typical. And it's not just the hours. Yeah, talk it's about the that. stages of sleep. So we, we go through different stages. A lot of people are aware of the REM sleep, right. rapid eye, eye movement. It's, it's the lighter stage of sleep. We do a lot of dreaming there. Yeah. And then there's stages that are deeper than that, and they take care of different things for our body. What's happening when we're sleeping? What is it doing to our brain? Because yeah. there is something cognitively it's doing. It's like it's, it's sure. resorting our brain. Well, and there again, it depends on the stage. Yeah. So our dreaming stage, the REM sleep, performs a different function than, say, stage four, one of the deepest levels of sleep. Mm. But there's all kinds of things happening. I think in our dreams, for example, we're we're processing and working things through, and our subconscious mind has a chance to take a whack at some of the things we're dealing with in our life. Right. Um, Fascinating, you know, when you really delve into it. Stage four, those deeper levels of sleep— is more of a reset, a reboot. It cleanses and purges and and gets you ready for the next day. And you might sleep all night and not really get sufficient stage four. Deep, that deeper that, sleep. And you don't even notice because you've been asleep all night. But you didn't go into those deeper levels of sleep. Mm. 
And um, so people with sleep apnea, they may be waking themselves up so consistently that they don't ever get to the deeper levels of sleep. So they never feel rested. But there's also things that we did just part of our typical lifestyle. Um, The research is is showing that alcohol, caffeine, and blue light. Yeah. Interestingly Blue light is, yeah. We'll get to sleep, but it'll wig out our, our stage four. Yeah. And- if you if you deprive yourself of those deeper levels of sleep consistently for even a short period of time, we see increases in anxiety. Um, we have a harder time dealing with stress. Yeah. I mean, it, it dings our mental health probably before anything else. Isn't it crazy? And it's I call it like the candy store effect. It's like we're all a bunch of kids – and we've never had this many options. So we can get on our phone and we can watch everything. You can see everything. Yeah. You can read anything. You can study anything you want, anything you're interested in or just Netflix. Anytime you, you want. Anytime you want. So it's mm-hmm. almost like if I know it's 9 o'clock at night, I know I should just probably brush my teeth, go start reading, and I'll go to sleep at 9.30 so I can get up at 5.00. But my brain says, well, why don't we just watch one episode mm-hmm. of whatever? Right. Which and, teases you for the next episode. Which, by the way, blue lights me. So now blue light, right. if you're not careful. I, I have my filters on, so I don't use blue light after like 8 o'clock at mm-hmm. night. So, But it, all of a sudden I'm getting all this stimulation and I then four episodes in, <laughs> it's now 11 o'clock and I'm like, ah, <laughs> What is my problem? Yeah. But this is human. This is this is our this is our new. This is the world we live in. Dilemma, right? Mm-hmm. And screens. Typically, you mentioned filters, uh, screens, computers, televisions, smartphones, tend to be a lot higher in those blue wavelengths. Yeah. And just so that people understand where we're coming from here, physiologically, the retina in our eye is connected in some ways to our thalamus. Yeah. And and this is a gland that produces chemicals that activate different systems in our body. And those blue wavelengths tend to be the kind that tell us to wake up, be active, yeah. be alert. And it starts pumping, what, melatonin into our system? Is that what it does? And it all of a sudden we're getting the chemistry to wake up. Right. But it could be 11 o'clock at night and it's just your little phone that's doing well, it. You know what? We're diurnal creatures. Which means that we're designed yeah. to sleep at night, be awake and active during the day. And you look at our world and how it's designed yeah. by our all-wise creator, the sky during the day tends to be blue. Blue, right. Well, and and we're designed to respond to that in a way that keeps us active and engaged mm. and, and connected. And then as the sun sets... You start to notice more orange and red. Yeah. And Calming. It, it goes and to the slowing. other end of the spectrum, right. the, the visible light spectrum, and that has a different effect. Yeah. On, the retinal thalamic response is what it is that causes different chemicals to be put into our bloodstream, and that prepares us to sleep. But if you're supposed to be sleeping and your body's tired, Mm-hmm. And and you and it needs to resort all your brain, all your all your thoughts and everything, and then you stimulate it, mm-hmm. and then get underslept and do that day in and day out. It seems like anxiety would be anxiety. the norm. 
That's one of the first effects that you're we a see stressed animal now. Yeah, I mean, you, you can see that. You always hear about like the um, the special ops, the black ops guys that go in behind enemy lines and mm. they don't sleep for forty hours and they, you know, do their mission and they come home. But mm-hmm. you know, for forty hours they're stressed out of their brain and it works. <laughs> oh, yeah. But in a weird way, we're kind of stressing ourselves mm-hmm. through those things without. But we don't get the benefit of being a. You know, a Navy SEAL. <laughs> we, we're just, you know, we're just an accountant going to work. Yeah, and so we're we're introducing an artificial stress to our system. Interesting. And then that starts, you know, not only anxiety, but then you look at the effects on the immune system. Yeah. And like you were saying earlier, the relationships that we're in. It's really important to pay attention to this. Yeah, we no, got to take yeah. care of ourselves a little better. I heard that about twenty percent of people sleep in separate beds from their spouse. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that could get to this. People that need to have the television on, people that have a restless leg, people that have a partner that snore, people mm-hmm. that have all of these other sleep issues. So some of it may not be blue light. It just may be, you know, a, yeah. a deviated septum in the nose of our spouse. Something else. So um, how, do I, how do I supposedly – it's one thing to have me get my life in control – what do I do when it's my spouse and I that now need to get in control? <laughs> yeah, that's a whole other conversation, isn't it? Totally is. Well, communication, I think, is huge. Yeah. And, and there are a lot of people who are sleeping in separate spaces in the home, not because they've got a conflict in yeah, their relationship. They love each other. But because they want to avoid a conflict in their relationship. <laughs> that's, right. that's so true. <laughs> right? So they're yeah. taking care of themselves. And when it comes to the to the level of importance of relationship, the relationship with yourself is one that people skip a lot. Yeah, yeah. But it it comes before. It's probably one of those prerequisites to having a good relationship with someone else. You got to take care of yourself, and you got to know yourself and know your limits. Like my wife yeah. and I, we have a rule: no serious discussions after like nine. Mm-hmm. It used to be. Later, but we're getting older, so it's like, ugh. <laughs> yeah, but no serious adjust. discussion because we know we're tired. We know it's yeah, more likely sure. to go sideways, and then we have to make time for it in the day to to mm-hmm. talk about those things. Mm-hmm. But the more I know my sleep needs, the more I know my physical needs, the more I know my needs, the better partner I could be. Sure, yeah, yeah. I mentioned sleep hygiene earlier. Yeah, having a comfortable bed and pillow. Oh, it's a big deal. I don't just put up with. What you got, you're spending half of your life in this place. Right. So make sure that it's comfortable. You want to make sure that it's dark. Yeah. We already talked about blue light. The the light that's going on in your room can enter your eye whether it's open or closed. Right. Your eyelid will filter it, but you're still getting some of those wavelengths that pass through to the retina, which triggers the retinal thalamic response. So making sure that it's dark, quiet, you know, that the Goes to earplugs. Have, I have found those haven't. little foam earplugs. Oh, oh my gosh! Wow, they saved my life. I, I wear and them. And your every relationship, night. Uh-huh. right? I don't even know. Like I get startled because I'll be asleep and my I'll, my wife will get in bed and I'll be startled that I didn't hear her. Yeah, because I'm wearing my earplugs. They work pretty well. They're so great. You want them for the airplane too. Yeah, you know no, when yeah, you travel. But just keep keep some of those earplugs handy. You yeah. want it dark. You want it cool. Yeah. Um, a few degrees cooler is better than a few degrees warmer no, when it comes to sleep. So true. So 
Well, so a lot of things if, we can do. What's the one thing that if if somebody's sitting there thinking, yeah, I have, I have now set up a life pattern where I'm chronically underslept, and it might be their job, it might be their, you know, their, it might be they're getting their kids up to do all these things in the morning. Mm-hmm. What what's the, what's the first thing they should probably look at and start working on? You know, with all other things being equal, I would say first look at the schedule. Yeah. What kind of a lifestyle have you built, especially on either end of your sleep time? So if you're pushing things right up to the to the brink, uh-huh. you know, you're you're checking emails and you're doing thinking work and you're you're getting engaged in in media. And that's probably one of the biggest ones. Yeah. I think media, I do, television, social media, uh, people taking these smartphones to bed with them. Mm. This is a lifestyle change that can make a huge difference, and so I'd say first look at that, and 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 maybe start to ask: Is it is this really is this what we really want? Right? Is this really working for us? Mm-hmm. Doctor Paul Jenkins is his name. If you go to his website, uh, drpauljenkins dot com, you can find a lot of great information. You can also go to YouTube. And mm-hmm. look on uh, Live on Purpose Television. Live on Purpose TV. TV. At YouTube. And you'll have about a 12-minute discussion about all of these things. Plus, you get into a million other topics. You're putting out new content every day. Five times a week. Man, you and Oprah. You know it. He's killing it. Dr. Paul Jenkins is his name, and uh, helping you expand your life is his game. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Our good brethren from BYU Sports Nation is up next. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, It's time to head on down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation to find out what's coming up on their show in just 12 short minutes. No, it's uh, Jason and Jerem today. No, Spencer and Jason today. (laughs) I had it it right. I I actually wrote it down. I wrote it down, and then I thought— Just cycle through all of the potential options. Man, I went through the whole team. How are you, guys? Fantastic. How are you? Excellent. Hey, I'm just getting over my uh, post um, uh, State of the Union jitters. Oh, yeah. How did that work out for you last night, Matt? It was great. It was great. I wish, honestly, I wish that when I I would speak – that everybody would just start applauding oh. and like standing oh. up. Wouldn't that, that would be, be great? Awesome! You imagine dinner the with your family. That would be. <laughs> Say something, Matt. Uh, I'd like to thank the little people <laughs> and the big people. <laughs> it is so. Seriously, like, and, and those the, the people in the audience most are not. Uh, how do you say? Young, no. So the constant standing up oh. and sitting down—that has got to be oh. killing. Their no, knees. you know what that, a workout. Yeah, their two hips were blown last night. <laughs> two hips, <laughs> just trying to get out of that chair. You could hear it you, if you if you listen carefully. You can hear the pop. Life alert was really busy. Buddy's <laughs> <laughs> med alert bracelets that were going was, off. <laughs> beep, 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 beep. Life alert was super busy last night. <laughs> Hey, um, uh, good news, I guess, uh, from the Gonzaga leadership of the university. Uh, the They're asking their people, their students, not to dress like Mormon missionaries. Yes. So, yes. Whew. Dave Rose took it a step further during uh, BYU basketball. Dave Rose on BYU TV and BYU radio last night. He said, 
I just don't know why they wear helmets. Like, don't <laughs> yeah. wear the bike helmets. Yeah, I mean, very rarely are the missionaries actually wearing a bike helmet. <laughs> There's other things they could play off of. Not a good look. Well, for the people that had cars on their missions, they're like, bike helmet, what bike is helmets. this? What is that all about? Please. Yeah, and for those of us that didn't have bikes or helmets, uh, it's rude. I'm old enough to remember when you didn't even need a helmet to ride a bike. Do you remember that? Yes. These yeah. good. These are simpler times. Hey, let's just call it for what it is, this whole Gonzaga movement. Yes. They have a kid named Jesse Wade who just got back from serving a two-year LDS mission. Really? He's from Kaysville, Utah. He was a star in Utah high school basketball, recruited by Mark Few. Now he joins the team. Uh, Coincidence that yes. it comes out now? I think not. Not. And he's been a helmet-wearing missionary. Exactly. Yes! They're protecting their own. Exactly. If he wasn't on the team, I don't know if this big push publicly would have happened. Come I on. agree. Come on! This is a, That's good news. That's really good news. I do have other good news. Apparently, a nutritionist has claimed that pizza is a healthier breakfast than many, many cereals. Yes. I saw somebody tweet about this to Kyle Collinsworth last night. Really? Kyle, who we will discuss on the show today and whether or not he's going to stick with the Dallas Mavericks in the NBA for the rest of the season, is a big health nut. Really? And then some. And so somebody said, hey, Kyle, pizza for breakfast. And he was like, no! Okay, so does that mean any pizza? Because... Does that mean I can go order me a, a meat lovers and be cool? Uh, no, it wouldn't mean that. But it says, uh, I'm trying to, it's got, if you order a deep dish, a deep dish for sure. <laughs> but pizza packs a much stronger or a much larger protein punch mm-hmm. than maybe most cereals you're used to. So the average slice of pizza and a bowl of cereal with whole milk contain nearly the same amount of calories. So we're talking an average slice. But not like a meat lover's, because that wouldn't be average. Okay, so just your typical pepperoni and cheese yes, pizza slice. Probably that. See, and I'm not a uh, like a cold pizza guy the next day. Oh, aren't like the, you? The thought of cold tomato sauce makes me <laughs> ill. You don't like V8, Jason? No, I don't. Oh, I love no, V8. No. So like the cold pizza the next day, I, I, I can't go down that road. But there's nothing better than, than you heat it up, right? But for yeah, breakfast, there's nothing better than pizza. So again, no three, no no meat lovers. Is that what we're saying? Now you you can do that. It's just, but that would be the equivalent of having half a box of Cap'n Crunch. What about say the uh, the old Hawaiian? Because you've got oh, the the, yeah. the fruit on it. No, that what is definitely. What is the protein based cereal? Because I want it. I don't. Is it total? I don't. Yeah, total is like equally e- eating well, Cheerios, five thousand other Cheerios bowls. Cheerios is protein. Is it the the yeah. the not the lucky? What is it? Which is which is the marshmallow? The lucky or the charms? Because one uh, is the, the charms, player. I think. <laughs> <laughs> I feel it all feels lucky to me, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> lucky charms are delicious. I had that for breakfast. Can no. you get a protein infused lucky charm? They're they're not delicious. They're magically delicious. Well played. Mm-hmm. Oh, Matt, we have covered a lot of ground. I know. Uh, you, you guys are doing your show in about six minutes. Give us some highlights. Anything else we're going to be paying attention to? Okay. We're talking with the radio voice of the Dallas Mavericks, Chuck Cooperstein, about the aforementioned Kyle Collinsworth and his staying power in the NBA. Sweet. We will also be discussing the March manifestation for BYU basketball. Wow. Yesterday, Matt, we talked about, and we discussed this with you during the tease, that we feel like BYU has gotten better. How much? Why? In what areas? 
How will this season's perceived improvement manifest itself when the madness begins? Ooh. I like how you said that. Uh-huh. Associate head coach Heath Schroyer from BYU Basketball will join us live to discuss that and where he thinks the Cougars have improved the most, plus Jason's number one buddy, mm-hmm. Juddy Buddy. It's the Juddy Buddy, Jeff Judkins in <laughs> Studio B. <laughs> it sounds like he's made of, like, Play-Doh. It's the Juddy Buddy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys. <laughs> Buy yourself a Jetty Buddy. A loaded show, man. That's good. <laughs> of course you're loaded. You got Jason with you. Jason's always loaded. Uh, okay. Well, guys, good, good luck. Go figure out what that meant. Um, great show. Great guys. You're not going to want to miss it. In five short minutes, you can just sit back, relax, eat your cold pizza, and uh, play with your Jetty Buddy. Jeff Judkins, by the way, a childhood idol of mine, he dated the sister of one of my friends. And married the her. Sister of one of your friends. He married my friend's sister. And we were all in awe. Jeff Judkins. It was amazing. And he'd pull up, he was tall, skinny, awesome athlete. Then he went pro. Incredible. But I never thought of him as a Juddy buddy. Now He's I'm my Juddy hero. Because my pro- probably my go-to Super Bowl snack, if I watched the Super Bowl, which I won't, what? Uh, what? 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 would be Muddy Buddies. Really? Muddy Buddies. Those More than rice, nachos? Yeah. Rice checks Back to rice with, with peanut butter, chocolate, powdered mm. sugar, vanilla, yes. all mixed together. Oh, and butter. And uh, it's delightful. It does a body good. Tip. Yeah. Put them in the fridge or freezer. They're better, colder, and crunchier. Okay. There is our Muddy Buddy tip of the day. Now to get to uh, the, the final of the show. We always like to talk heroes. Today, the hero is a son. You won't believe this story. This is cool. A proud mother has held her son as a hero after he stopped her house from burning down. Flames took hold of Judy Blake's house in Lodge Lane, Langham, um, in the U.K., after the low winter sun shone through a window on a magnifying vanity mirror, which was on a dressing table. It then reflected onto a nearby curtain, which caught on fire. The reflection of a mirror. Are you kidding me? Her son, Ross Blake, at 45 years old, was at the house at the time on his regular visit to see his mom. And guess what? He saw the fire as it uh, and the smoke that came from the room. My son was round. He lives in Dedham. And notice what was happening. And guess what? I opened the door. The whole area was up in flames. The curtains were all alight. I brought a bucket of water and uh, threw the water on it and realized that I had a hose and decided to use that. We managed to get it mostly out. They called the fire brigade. Bada boom, bada bing. He saves mom and her house. See, folks, this is why we should be visiting our mothers more regularly. Not only will you help make their day, lift their life a bit, you may save their life if it comes to a fire. And by the way, another reason to get rid of mirrors, because a little reflection from the sun can go a really long way. That's the show, my friends. We will be back again tomorrow to uh, to connect again and to learn together. But uh, stick with us because BYU Sports Nation is up next.